0: good morning everybody welcome to the matt townsend show i'm your host dr matt townsend your coach your guide on the side man have we got a good show for you today Woo! Sorry to be excited, but I, I spent a lot of time reading about our first guest and uh, and listening, actually, too. Way excited. Uh, we'll be talking today to uh, a, a researcher, Valerie Hudson, who has put together a ver- an interesting, I think, and an effective argument of a better way to approach peace in the world. You know, we've tried to push free market economy, we've tried to export democracy, we've tried all of these different ways to get everyone in the world to change and get better, but man, we may have been overlooking the most easy way to do it, the most basic way to do it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You just got to stick with us. So good. Uh, also, um, quick update, because I haven't heard from James uh, if he's still engaged. Uh, James, are you still engaged? You so were engaged. engaged. As of the weekend, now you're still engaged. Yes. Yes, still engaged.
1: Things are going very well. I'm now fully immersed in the complexities and, should I say, joys of preparing for a wedding. (laughs) Yes, you should should say joys. Yeah, I should. On air, I shall say joys. It would be advantageous for you to say (laughs) joys. It is such a pleasant experience. Let me tell you that, Matt. And luckily, you know what's
0: great for you is you chose a long engagement.
1: Yeah, a super long engagement about... Two months. Yeah. Oh, is that... <laughs> That's so long. I know. It, it feels like eternity. I thought, it was,
0: I thought you were getting married in August. No, nope, May. Oh, man, you're dead. <laughs> That's not much time at all. There's a lot to do. There's okay. so much. Well, good. I was worried that, you know, you, she was getting cold feet. <laughs> but if you want to be our caterer, call one eight five five 855 chat byu <laughs> If you've got <laughs> catering deals, uh, actually, um, I'll do the catering. Oh, you're going to do the catering? Mm-hmm. Okay. What What's on the menu? Uh, cheese whiz, crackers,
2: uh, and spray cheese. That's uh, what I was thinking. Mm, <laughs>
0: yes, man. Bacon flavored. Get enough cheese whiz. <laughs> that's a, that's a new commercial right there it's for nothing, cheese whiz. This this sec this uh, segment brought to you by cheese whiz, man's best friend
2: for 20 years. Best way to start, start a, wedding. a
0: wedding: cheese whiz. <laughs> I'm proud of you, dude. Thanks. I'm glad it's sticking.
2: Yeah, way not to mess it up. Yeah. We, so we far. Got two months.
0: We got two months. Okay, good. I was really worried about that. Talk about headlines with us, Terry. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in the news.
2: FBI on Wednesday arrested three men from Brooklyn who, they allege, plan to launch terrorist attacks in the United States if they were not able to join ISIS in Syria. Or ISIL, depending on your government yeah. department.
0: You know, they aren't the smartest terrorists.
2: No. I mean, if, if you're I, going they, to do this, they weren't necessarily terrorists yet. They were sympathizers. They were planning. They were working that way. One, two guys from Uzbekistan, one from Kazakhstan. I think two of them were here legally. One had a v- expired visa, something of that nature. So. Um, they were arrested, charged with conspiracy to, pro- to provide material support to a foreign terrorist organization. According to law enforcement officials, the men also plan to return to New York to commit an act of domestic terrorism. If they failed their efforts to join ISIS on social media sites that were monitored, they mentioned um, taking out the president, taking out Coney Island, taking out some other locations. Um, so, yeah, they broadcasted it wide and far what they wanted. You
0: know, Yeah. Facebook's not, but probably where you want to initiate your
2: push for becoming a terrorist. Yes, I mean, yeah. And this is the the homegrown terrorist, the lone wolf terrorist type concepts we were talking with. Yeah, our this was like a this was like a pack. FBI. This is a pack of pack of
0: wolves. That's scary because they could you know that just shows you again that. A lot can go wrong if we
2: don't pay attention. But the preemptive yeah. nature of law enforcement—they're able to kind
0: of pick now, these guys off. Well, and that the fact that these guys aren't well the not very smart brightest. Either. Yeah, light bulb. Yeah, well, it, yeah,
1: it's great that they're posting stuff to social media. I mean,
0: it sh- makes yeah.
1: They should be like a Facebook page that's the "I should be in jail" Facebook
0: page, and they can post things that they're going to do. You know what? Because if, if they're going to keep posting stuff on Facebook, I'm pretty sure my wife will be able to bring down ISIL. <laughs> there's nobody she's a machine that huh? knows facebook better than my <laughs> wife she is she she's a researcher she researches
2: facebook u.s military combat vehicles from the u.s Army's 2nd cavalry regiment paraded wednesday through an estonian city wow it's called uh, the city of narva yeah it's on the very eastern edge good it's, city Only a few miles separate from uh, from that city from Russia, which is why they did it. Interesting. Uh, Actually, a part of the city juts juts into Russia. It's a symbolic act, highlighted the stakes both sides amid the worst tensions between the West and Russia since the Cold War. The armored personnel carriers and other U.S. armored vehicles that rolled through the streets were taking part in a military parade to mark Estonia's Independence Day. Hmm. So, like, Independence Day? Yeah, we'll bring over the (laughs) second cavalry. (laughs) Isn't this interesting? I mean,
0: the, I again,
2: it almost seems like they're at war. NATO has had they either have plans or they've started moving like uh, defense uh, groups into closer proximity to Russia. Yeah, and that has Russia really, I'm sure, not uh, happy with those sorts of movements, causing them to. Uh, uh, there's been uh, wh- I was watching a video. There's been uh, what Russian bombers are flying. Across the border from Russia into Eastern European Ooh, countries, doing little flybys, doing training and... flights, and then uh, those, those countries send up their fighters to kind of shadow them, and they're yeah, all well, looking at each other. Yeah. And he's he's a tease that yes. Putin. He he knows how to push people's buttons. Classic Vlad. <laughs> Classic Vlad. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. This one
1: you can't call him Vlad. Oh, we're on a we're on a nickname basis. Are you guys
0: so, close? Yeah. Is he coming to the wedding?
1: Um, I am going to send an invitation. See what happens. He's got. He's a busy guy, though. You know, Vlad. Vlad. Yeah.
2: Rich dude. He just shows get you up. Present. Send Provo. Hey, what's going on? Hey. <laughs> this one made me laugh. House Speaker John Boehner gave the chamber's 400 plus members a few reminders Wednesday about decorum inside the halls of Congress, including rules on punctuality and proper attire. Ah. The Ohio Republican delivered a subtle reprimand, telling offenders, "You know who you are." Male members are supposed to wear a coat and tie on the floor when final votes are cast. Some members, notably Representative Sam Graves of Missouri and uh, Duncan Hunter Jr. of California, routinely show up in leather jackets and blue jeans to vote. Well, those are the cool guys. Boehner also told members they need to start arriving on time, and there was an applause to that because apparently people think there needs to be a certain amount of decorum when you're representing your country. Representing citizens. This isn't the scout troop. <laughs> You're rolling in a leather jacket to vote on a tax initiative or something. I mean, you would want to distinguish yourself.
0: You'd want to dress a little differently. I mean, seriously. I mean, don't you think? I mean Harry Reed wears sunglasses. Right. Well So why can't these guys wear leathers?
2: James would walk in with his chaps on. I just I found it funny that the speaker of the house had to tell everyone the dress code. You guys? Guys. Come on. Wear a tie. I'm serious. <laughs> Don't make me reprimand
0: you. But see, they just run in. You know, they're probably in their offices.
2: You know, doing Zumba. Right. They're just hanging out playing. And then some, they got oh, we gotta vote. We gotta playing Candy in. Crush or something, and then they come running in. Oh wait, something th- important's happened. I had to vote. Oh, they're in their leisure suit. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, okay. That's Pluto. Good. Yeah. Has, w- the dog or the planet? Yes. The almost no. planet. 2006, Pluto was demoted. I know, that was so sad. I there miss was Pluto. There was consternation about that. It was well. People were not happy. If you you know, it's like at Disneyland, if you if you're not this tall, you can't go on the ride. Especially kids like me who had to learn the planets. Yeah. Now you have to leave off Pluto? Yeah. What's going on there? Well, Pluto and another so-called dwarf planet named Cirrus oh, could be course, reclassified yeah. as planets later this year. Vanderbilt astronomer David Wintraub? Sure. Yeah, sure. He thinks that with the information from NASA spacecraft that will visit both dwarf planets I mean, do they want to be year, called dwarf planets? That's how they're classified, because they're uh, not should, a planet. Well, aren't they supposed to be called little planets? They could be called that, but that's a mm-hmm. video game. Might yeah, be I mean, that, kind of confusing. Yeah.
3: Yeah, okay.
0: Well, true. but I, I just think... Okay, so they might become planets again.
2: Now, I found this out. Pluto was demoted because it's not seen as the dominant object in its orbit because it crosses with another planet. So it's not always the furthest planet out. See, the
0: psychologist in me says that that it's not a narcissist. It's not the
2: dominant object in its orbit. Right.
1: (sighs) So like they when might it, come back. It's what happens
2: when you get married. You all of a sudden are not the dominant object in your orbit. i, I become to a Pluto. Yep. That's right. You're demoted. You've become a dwarf planet. You're number two.
0: <laughs> but, but And then but your spouse becomes
2: the sun. Yeah. The gravitational pull from the spouse is incredible. Hot. <laughs> in the sense of they just affect your whole life. They just blow it all up. Yeah. And they demand things. Oh, sorry. I'll be in the end... This is a great lesson for you, James
0: okay. sometimes you're a pla- sometimes you're a planet, sometimes you're the sun, sometimes you're a dwarf planet. Play your role. give it a – give it some sometimes you're not even a planet, you're just a, an astronomical entity. Sometimes you'll be brought back in that, that is that's, blowing my mind. you're that's just the no.
2: circle of life. you're just dark matter. you're the stuff in between the stars
1: This, this is so deep I'm not even sure I uh, understand. <laughs> this completely. is why we do the morning show.
0: Wow. Because we want people to know. Sometimes, you know, you're big. Sometimes you're just a dwarf planet.
2: So Pluto could become a planet again. It's
0: good stuff. There you go. Man, great news. Uh, have we got a guest for you? Valerie Hudson is joining us. Um, author. She's she's one of, I believe, four authors that wrote the book Sex and World Peace. And she's here to teach us a new way that we that we might want to look at creating peace in the world. Instead of just exporting, you know, the market economy idea or exporting democracy, maybe there's a a more even basic concept that if we could just wrap our heads around it, we could change the world and create more peace. We'll talk about that when we come back with our guest Valerie Hudson. This is the Matt Townsend show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, when you think about world peace and just listening to the news over and over and over, I guess there's a lot of uh, theories for how you go about creating a, a safer world and and more world peace. But uh, there's really an idea that I have fallen in love with by Valerie Hudson. She, she and a few other authors, Bonnie Baliff-Spanville, Mary Caprioli, and Chad Emmett, have all together written a book, "Sex and World Peace," and in the book they um, they basically outline a, a new—not it really shouldn't be a new theory or a new philosophy for world peace. But it's, it's so it really is basic and powerful. Uh, so we wanted to bring Valerie on today. Valerie is a professor and chair in the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University. She also was on faculty here at Brigham Young University and um, has, has really received a lot of awards. Foreign Policy named her one of the top 100 most influential global thinkers. She's also served as vice president of the International Studies Association. So let's just get to her, Valerie Hudson. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
4: Hi, nice to be here.
0: Great to have you. And I, I, I know we don't have a lot of time, so I want you to just teach us your basic premise for creating world peace.
4: Well, Matt, I think it's pretty simple, which is uh, you're not going to get peace between nations unless you have peace between the two halves of humanity, hmm. uh, male and female. Uh, and to think that that we can have uh, oppressive or exploitative or violent relationships uh, between the two halves of humanity, and then expect somehow magically that we're going to say solve the Arab-Israeli conflict is is really you know uh, unrealistic.
0: Right. No. Exactly. And and, and you you tested the idea and, and went about aggregating the research. In fact, one of the great, I think, contributions or outcomes of this is your website, um, the Women's Stats Project,
4: right? Oh, thank you very much. Yes. Um, believe it or not, uh, BYU and Texas A&M are hosts to the largest compilation of information about the status of women available anywhere in the world, and it's freely accessible uh, through internet.
0: Oh, I mean it really it's it, I think it's phenomenal. So everybody go check out that website womenstats.org. But tell me let, let's kind of get into some of the details. So this isn't this doesn't have to be divisive because it's not a male female a man against women thing that a lot of people, you know, I don't know, seem to fight against when when you think of a movement like this. It's more the simple idea that when women are are in communities or uh, globally in countries where they are safer and um, protected and uh, given equal opportunities and equal voice, those countries flourish more than where they're not.
4: Hands down. I mean, the empirical evidence is so overwhelming that, you know, we should consider it some sort of, you know, law of the universe. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> the
0: universal law. True. It yeah, should be. Yeah, the
4: universal law. You want to flourish as a nation state? Yeah. So Elevate all women. humans, right. Yeah, it's, it's uh, whether we're talking food security, whether we're talking economic prosperity, whether we're talking health, whether we're talking government, you know, whatever aspect of nation-state security, national security you want to point to, uh, I can show you empirically, and others can as well. Many other scholars have done research also on this topic, that the, the more empowered women are, the better off you're on all of these dimensions.
0: I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. Be, like you were saying, if half of humanity isn't empowered, then how could those countries or areas of the world thrive and flourish to the same level than if we were all empowered and, and growing? And one of the things I, – I love how you actually came to, to push this research. You were sitting with a bunch of faculty and – uh, you were giving your idea, your hypothesis, I guess, that women—that um, that, that evaluating the security and the health of women was a was a basic factor for creating world peace. I, I think that was your premise. T- talk about what your story there, and then and then how you went and started researching and found out that you know there's there's many more women that have suffered over the years than than men.
4: Yeah, it's it is true. Um although I'm surprised uh, BYU Radio's asking me this because it happened at BYU, sure. but it, it is true that um when I first began to propose this research in my department um you know over a decade ago uh, the The first reaction was you know if you, if you 're interested in blood spilt and lives lost, you know you need to look at democratization, you need to look at ideology, you know women are really not part of this picture, and I think that was pretty common for that time period yeah. i I have you know no doubt that um, you know if we if I were to do this again in the Department of Political Science, things would be far different um, but uh I I must admit, I was kind of struck speechless by the fact that I was told I was barking up the wrong tree entirely Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, they could see no merit in the idea. So, uh, you know, I went back to my office very, very discouraged, and uh, and yet there was something inside of me that, that knew that this was actually correct and that they were simply down on what they were not up on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did a little thought experiment, enlisted the help of my research assistant, and we put together uh, a tally sheet of um, the best estimates of how many lives had been lost in all of the conflicts, whether uh, interstate conflicts or civil conflicts or genocides that had taken place throughout the entire 20th century. Uh, And we come up, I think we came up with a figure of about 152 million. And then we took the UN's estimate of how many women were missing from the world's population just at the end of the century, right? So we're comparing 100 years of lives lost versus how many women should be in the world's population but aren't at the turn of the 21st century. And that latter figure was 163 million. Mm. So if you want to talk about blood spilt and lives lost, I think you've got to talk about women. There is a, there's a hidden, if you will, gender side uh, that's going on that, that doesn't make the front page of the New York Times, but is in fact shaping our world. For example, by all rights, okay, given that women live longer than men,
3: mm-hmm.
4: there should be about 98 men on the planet for every 100 women. But in fact, Matt, there are 101.4 men for every 100 women on the planet. Hmm. That's not natural. No No plague caused that, right? Right. That is entirely man-made. Women are no longer half of humanity for reasons of gender inequality, gender discrimination, and the devaluation of female life.
0: I mean, just in, Why aren't
4: we talking about that? Well, right?
0: exactly. And I get, and I, as you think about it, just China alone, right? They're, they're selecting right. out the gender of, uh, the, right. of women, of, of female. Uh, and um, in the year
4: 2020, the Chinese government estimates that among the young adult population from 15 to 34, there'll be um, about 50 million more men than women.
0: Wow. It. And and it really, the, I guess your your belief is we're not even we're not even talking about it. So your your basic goal is to just start talking and getting the real the real data out that we are safer as a world with um, with equality.
4: Well, yes, and I think you know I think policymakers are actually talking more about it than security studies folks. You mm-hmm. know, if we, if we want to talk about Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. You know, I have a book out this summer, coming this summer, from Columbia called The Hillary Doctrine. Um, and she has actually made that, uh, you know, part of of her uh, understanding of the world, which is to the extent that you empower women, you make nations uh, more peaceful and, and safer, more secure. Uh, and so I, I do think, you know, we do have some high-level voices like Hillary Clinton talking about mm-hmm. this. Uh, but I think we also have a larger establishment that's really not geared up to see women, to notice women, to pay attention to these issues. In part because their own culture, our own American culture, tells us t- that these are not necessarily that important issues.
0: It's interesting because, so even uh, as an American culture, yeah. I guess we we're I'm assuming dramatically ahead of other cultures, some cultures, yeah. but not <laughs> quite there yet.
4: Yeah, you know, our our levels of uh, violence against women, uh, and I'm, again, I'm speaking here as the result of the data in our database, um, puts the U.S. kind of smack dab in the middle of the pack of nations. You know, we're certainly not the worst, as mm-hmm. you said, but we're by no means the best, yeah. not at all. And then our representation of women, even in Congress, you know, has never gone above 20 percent, right? Never. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what does that say? What does it say when, um, when when women are endlessly talking about how they can possibly balance work and family, because the workplace has set up been set up around the image of the male worker who has no family responsibilities?
0: Mm-hmm. How um, do you how do you train I mean I guess it's just communicating it, about it enough that it becomes an option because is aren't a lot of uh women are still choosing certain careers they're still choosing certain fields right so it is some of it is their choice they might be choosing roles that might even not pay as well but is it just that if we have more conversations then they'll they'll understand there are more options
4: Oh, um, you mean on what sort of jobs women choose? Yeah, inequality, well, you know, pay really
3: equality.
4: a huge issue that we could go into. The question is it, when we talk about women's choice, you have to look at the context in which they're making that choice, yeah. right? So, for example, in, in other countries, um, there, there's all sorts of, of, of flex time options, there's all sorts of, of uh, child care options, there's all sorts of maternity leave policies. They're just not available to American women. We're one of three countries in the world that has no paid maternity leave. Um, there's a couple of states that do have paid maternity leave, but for the country as a whole, we have nothing like that. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so that puts us really as an outlier. Uh, so when we talk about women's choices, we have to look at the context in which those choices are made, and that's what we need, I think, to, uh, to hone in on is the structure of the choices and not the choices themselves.
0: I, I love that. Do you, do you sense that um, it's harder to move the needle in this area in the United States, or would it be harder to move it in the Middle East, or are they the same thing? Uh,
4: they're both hard, yeah. but they're hard in different ways. Right. Yeah. Uh, many of the cultures of the Middle East, uh, you know, they've interpreted uh, their particular re- religion to imply, you know, that that women uh, should have less rights, that women should have less voice, um, that perhaps male-on-female violence could be condoned in a religious uh, context. Um, but uh, in the United States, we we do not have those premises, um, but yet. We, we still we live in a society where where women uh are are subject uh to routine har- harassment and discrimination uh, and that's something we need to look at. How could that flourish in a society that says it regards women as equal
0: hmm. yeah do you do you um I guess as I think about – like just in the news as we were doing the beginning of the show and starting the show, so many stories, terrorism, um, and all of these kind of global problems that are going on. Do you, And you, your premise is basically it, it, maybe instead of just pushing democracy as the source of trying to kind of – the paradigm that will break or shatter some of these problems, you're saying more why aren't we just pushing – gender equality.
4: Yeah, and, and you know, Matt, in a sense, um, gender equality says, let's look at the home, the household, yeah, and see if it's a democracy, a peaceful democracy. And if it's not a peaceful democracy right. in the home...
0: The community won't be, right?
4: It, exactly. How could it be?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's such a basic theory, and yet uh, what it's, it still creates fear... I think in a lot of men, when they hear this argument, it's almost like men, I mean, just not even the oppressive man, just the kind of average guy it might be sitting there thinking, well, what do you want me to do about it? I didn't oppress these women. So what What? what should we do? Instead of, I guess, recoiling and thinking feminists, what should we be thinking? To be healthy.
4: Yeah, I think there's two levels of action on the part of the United States, you know, and one is, which I think we saw with Hillary Clinton, is that we make it integral to our foreign policy um, that, you know, we pay attention to what's happening to women in other nations and assist women insofar as we can. And USAID, yeah, the major aid-granting agency of, of the federal government, um, takes this extremely seriously. We have very creative and wide-ranging USAID programs to try to lift the situation of women abroad. And, and so that should continue to be a priority um, of, our, of our government in its interstate relations. But, you know, at home, you know, it all starts at home, right? Yeah. So every man, every woman, uh, can we interrogate our interpersonal relationships can we also ask ourselves, uh, you know, whether um, are we engaged in particular activities such as watching porn, which does not help the status of women in Mm-mm. society? Right. Uh, can we ask ourselves about subtle discrimination? I'm sure you've seen all the headlines recently about research that shows um, that um, a person's rating, uh, for example, of a teacher yeah. Or yeah. is, is yeah. completely dependent on sex. Yeah. So even if it's online and you can't actually see the person, if they pretend to be a male, even if they're a woman, they'll get higher evaluations oh, wow. than if they reveal themselves to be a woman.
0: Plus, plus, we they also throw in the red hot pepper rating, yeah. which <laughs> means the professor's also good looking. <laughs> And I, I kept telling everybody I wanted to be put on that, but then I was afraid. I I don't know. I'd probably get a Rotten Tomato thing. Um, but when we, I mean, it really is. It's an. I had no. I hadn't seen those headlines that we actually rate a male professor higher than a female Even if professor. It's
4: a female pretending to be a male online where you can't tell <laughs> can't the difference. Them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a. Well, what is that about? Uh, you know, it's just Matt, If I could answer that question, there's... I would you know I would be so happy because I can tell you until you know I'm blue in the face I can show you that if you treat women as human beings Mm -hmm. right (laughs) yeah you know all of you are going to be much happier women and men for example in countries where where women are treated uh, worse the life expectancy is lower for women yes but you know what also lower for men for men
0: absolutely
4: right? so, so many wonderful things happen for men even yeah. Yeah. when women are treated as equals that the thought really does make reason stare yeah why would anyone not do this then <laughs>
0: well it, 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 i guess it's just we're not informed
4: yeah is or it? it could be that for some reason there's Shall we say benefits to controlling, uh, oppressing, gratifying ourselves at the expense of other human yeah. beings? Yeah.
0: Well, even and right. even at the expense of longevity, health. Yeah. I mean, it's, right. So it must be, or, or yeah, maybe it's maybe it's something you know of the, the our DNA and evolution of dominance. I don't know. There's something because it is. If it's going to end up costing us years of. life and longevity and health, uh, we probably need to use our brains a little bit more on this one.
4: You know, that actually, I'm going to set my research assistant on that. I'm going to figure out, uh, what's the gain in life expectancy from not smoking versus the gain in life expectancy from treating women as human beings. That's great. Doesn't that sound like a great comparison? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: And then when you do it, let's, I want her on the show. That's I good. want. To, I I think I should have you know first right of refusal on that one.
4: You got it, Matt. Well, you got
0: it. I appreciate what you're doing, Valerie, and it's. I mean, again, every time I I hear, I, I think we just have to keep teaching it, keep teaching it, uh, and I love the way you do it because it's not. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's not oppositional. You're not trying to just oppose, and impose. You're just the data is there. People just need to get it.
4: Yeah, a sincerely equal partnership between women and men makes everything so much better from the individual level to the state level to the international level.
0: That's right. And honestly, that's why I loved uh, that's why I wanted to bring up how it started here, even at BYU with just kind of probably an, an uninformed, ignorant statement. That that was then born in your heart in a way, Valerie. That that's created this, I think, incredible movement. So, um, and the neat thing is, on top of it, I guess three of your four authors are were affiliated with BYU as well. Chad Emmett, right, yeah. Chad Emmett. I loved a comment he made at uh, the Wilson Center where he's like, "What does a white male Mormon have to do with this topic?"
4: I think he's got everything to do Don't with you the think t- topic. That's, See, that's the it. beauty of it. That's
0: exactly it. Because we really are, you know, brothers and sisters trying to trying to just act like brothers and sisters instead of and oppressive. The
4: greatest champions of women yeah. should, at a minimum, be the Chad Emmetts, the uh-huh. white Mormon males that's of right. the world. No, God bless him for
0: it. Well, and I agree, and God bless you, Valerie, because you're changing the world. You really are. And we'll keep pushing... The idea. And again, we're, we're ignorant as well. Sometimes we don't even know that we're stepping on your toes when we're stepping on your toes. So don't you, worry keep, about it. you keep educating us. We'll keep uh, pushing the message. Valerie, thanks oh, so much. All righty. Keep up the great work.
4: I appreciate it. You Thank bet. You.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Again, the book is Sex and World Peace by Valerie Hudson, Bonif Balif, Spanville, Mary Caprioli and Chad uh, Chad F. Emmett. Go check out that uh that work again just the idea treating half of humanity as equal and creating equal opportunities in every way shape or form just the right to live in some countries the right to go to school if you remember the scenarios where acid was thrown on the face of those beautiful uh middle eastern uh girls because they were simply going to school just giving those rights equally folks it's going to change the world That's how we find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, uh, continue this discussion right here on BYU Radio. the Matt Townsend show would have loved to have had Valerie on longer she had a commitment she had to go to but I love the discussion and it's you know it's so interesting um, because sometimes just our differences uh, create a, a perfect opportunity to have what I call an emergent reality so for example sun clouds two completely differing, you know, um, elements. And, uh, you know, the the rain, the storm, the clouds, the sun that's trying to make it through. When these two come together, uh, you know, a lot of times the sun is blocked. and um, But in the end, something powerful can emerge from those two differences if we just kind of sometimes relax and let stuff happen. And what emerges is would be the rainbow, right? And... I think the same thing happened in a way I can't speak for Valerie but so Valerie was on campus here at BYU for 24 years and was studying about women's rights in safety and security uh, is one of her specialties and kind of like world security so she's she's big into political science and how to create strong safe spaces or uh, you know um, governments creating safer world um, protected countries I guess. In the end, though, she's sitting down with a bunch of other poli-sci people, researchers, that aren't necessarily in her realm, all have their own kind of version of life, their own uh, paradigm. She throws out an idea simply that says, uh, you know, we really need to explore more the power and the security of women as a vital factor in the security of state and the incidence of war. And just remember, we so many of us just go right with our gut reaction and our paradigm, and we stay, by just doing that, by never opening up and just listening to others, we don't relax enough to let the, the two ideas turn into something new. And they weren't being, I'm sure, just oppressive. She, they were just being professorial, probably, and, you know, white men, probably, traditionally. And she went and... Learned and studied and researched and then could build an argument that is powerful. And I think, again, it's, it's probably the way we're going to change the world. We're not going to change it by continually thinking the exact same things over and over. John Stuart Mill said, When society requires to be rebuilt, there is no use in attempting to rebuild it on the old plan. No great improvements in the lot of mankind are possible— until a great change takes place in the fundamental constitution of their modes of thought. So at this rate, folks, I'm betting that we are probably not going to change the world if we keep thinking that, for, in this example, half of humanity isn't equal or worthy of the full rights of humanity. It's not going to happen. So, are you saying, Matt, that if we just if all the women in the Middle East had all the equal types of rights, and I'm not just even saying rights to to um, to vote, but rights for sexual reproduction in a way, or rights for um, education, simply, or the rights to be heard and have a voice in the common discussions, or a right to run for certain offices, if they don't have that then who on earth do you think will ever change those paradigms? We have to have the differences, whether it's civil rights, right? By the way, I mean again, we can be frustrated by um, what's going on everywhere. In Ferguson, Missouri, we can be frustrated by it. We, we heard all over the Oscars about equality. And yet these are from people in in one of the, in America, folks, where America is, you know, we're doing a pretty good job of this. We have a lot to do still, but go somewhere else. Go to, you know, North Africa. Go to Somalia, where genital mutilation is still in play. <sighs> if we want to change the world, folks, we have to allow other thoughts in. It doesn't mean you have to always change your values and your principles. But if your value and your principle is set in a strong, healthy principle, not position. Positions are different a lot of times than principles. Principles could be a principle of open, a principle of loving, a principle of caring, a principle of security, a principle of growth and learning. Those are all principles. If we focused our lives on those principles we probably would have room for a lot of these uh arguments that everyone that we're making about fairness and equality those could all fit under our our own existing principles ah <sighs> powerful really it changed it changed my mind a lot um in just and, uh, there's a great project uh women's stats project the largest gathering of statistics of the worldwide status of women, containing over 170,000 data points and growing every day. Um, it's covering 350 variables from the right to vote to right to and access to health care to um, you name it security, security in the community, security for maternity, you know, uh, all of these things. And why I love it so much is it is founded by a lot of sponsors from Texas A&M and a lot from Brigham Young University. The Women's Research Institute at BYU, the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences at BYU, the Marjorie Pay Hinckley Chair of BYU, they're all behind this in an effort to create a healthier world by creating safer and more secure lives for women around the world. Powerful stuff, my friends. We'll take a break when we come back. We'll have a few more minutes to wrap up this first hour and then uh, on to hour number two this is the Matt Townsend show you're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU radio
1: on the Appleseed we share stories and interview storytellers who aim to change the world
4: I just had to do it you know it was really really thrilling but it didn't it didn't change the world half or one millionth as fast as I'd like. <laughs> sure,
5: sure. Yeah, our ambition must be very large to make even very small changes sometimes.
4: Oh, gosh, I'm going to quote you on that. The Appleseed,
1: tellers and stories, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only here on BYU Radio.
6: Rhythm three.
3: Yes! <laughs> Chase Fisher!
2: Bounds right to the rim and Drives and scores another and one, Ted. Backdoor, Hans, reverse and score. Oh, that was pretty. Free throw up, free throw good. Drives and scores another and one, kids. We are loyal, strong, and
5: true to the end. BYU at Gonzaga, Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, here on BYU Radio.
0: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we're talking about kind of fairness uh, and equality, apparently Abercrombie and Fitch, they've, Fitch? Fitch? Yes. Fitch.
2: It's F-I-T-C-H. So they're they're the in trouble.
0: Company, yes. I mean, they're always in trouble.
2: Yeah, they're always sort of pushing that line of public yeah. decency sometimes with yeah, their these uh these teens dressed. In their catalogs. Mm-hmm. For uh, well, it's more like not decency, but more taste. people mm-hmm. are like, have they gone too far with this, and yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's clothing that they're selling right but I think people people question whether that's too much uh the Supreme Court, if you ever read Supreme Court stories you Every know, day. some of them start with can't get enough court <laughs> watchers, yeah which is court the same watchers. thing as royal watchers They're yeah. reporters who uh, cover court, the court watchers boring people who have that love the law or people who have a tough job taking something really boring and spinning <laughs> into something interesting so the supreme court, court, court on wednesday found the justices appearing to side with a muslim woman who was not hired by Abercrombie & Fitch because her black headscarf supposedly conflicted with the company's dress code. While Samantha Eloff did not say she was wearing it for religious reasons, Justice Samuel Alito said there was no reason for the company not to hire her unless it assumed she would continue to wear it because she was Muslim. Reports from the court indicate that both liberal and conservative justices were aggressive in their questioning of the Abercrombie lawyer. So she walks into the job interview. She's wearing... A headscarf, they said, that's not our dress code, we'll see you later. Well, you, but you you can't ask,
0: can you? Can you, I mean, you...
2: Ask your religion in well, a job yeah. interview? No.
0: No, no, but you can't ask, because that is religious. So that they couldn't ask, so not knowing, they just didn't extend a job
2: offer. Yes. Huh. And so uh, the other side of it is, I didn't get hired because I'm Muslim, yeah. or you assumed I'm Muslim because of my headscarf. Right. Even though it wasn't discussed... That's that's what she, you know, maybe something was said in the interview that led her to believe that way. And, I mean, so this has gone through the courts. It's all the yeah. way up to the Supreme Court. I just, I found that interesting. That is interesting. And can you discriminate because of someone's religious dress? Apparently. If it doesn't meet your company's dress code, yeah. can you make that, I I don't know.
0: Well, there's uh there's the Sikh religion and they wear like a turban and mm-hmm. si- and they carry a knife sometimes. Yeah, but so but I, it's part of the it's but they carry it anyway. A okay. lot of high schools have to allow oh, okay. these boys that are wearing their headdress with a knife.
2: I thought we were back to the story yesterday where the guys are fighting in the oh, no, that's Dubai no, no, restroom that's swords. They, okay. Those are
0: real swords. So. But so so it's interesting because you know, schools don't allow weapons. Except Sikhs carry a weapon as part of their religious attire. Hmm. So schools then end up having to grant like a waiver for this boy to bring a knife. It's a, it's a special knife. It's not like a ceremonial type yeah. thing. Yeah. Anyway, so watch how complicated this is getting. As we turn into a global economy or a global world, and we just talked about the, the importance of at least allowing 50 percent of the population to have equal – rights to everything basically um what about how all of a sudden we have all these great laws you know companies are protected schools are protected we need to protect our kids there shouldn't be um there shouldn't be knives at school and yet we also have to tolerate a religious difference so and and yet we're not allowed to talk about it
2: it comes yeah you're not allowed to ask questions but at the same time you can't just make one rule that's blanket for every no. situation. It, never, it almost never works.
0: And you might need to have times where we can talk about it, even in an interview. Right. If it's going to violate the policy. If I find you're incredible in every way, we how do we bridge that? Or do we just, I guess everyone would assume we just need to
2: change all policies. Yeah. In this case, it almost, it looked like the, the clothing company needed to have a discussion about is that going to be something that's on every day? And then figure out, is that something going to work? Because the dress code is what? T-shirts and jeans, sure. probably.
0: Oh, sure. And so, I, honestly, if you walked into an Abercrombie and Fitch store, would you not think, oh, that's, wow, cool, inclusive?
2: Right. Right. But they looked at it as, oh, that's not underdress dress code. If, you, if she wore a trucker, it. if it was like a trucker ball cap, yeah, it'd be fine. Isn't that they true? They sell those in the store. Or probably. if you
0: just, or, isn't that weird? Or because I mean, Abercrombie is always in the news, and we're not trying to beat up, Aber- but they're always in the news for not wearing enough clothes. Yes. So heaven forbid you're covering up too much. Yet, that's so respectful. And I'm going to bet if you went and talked to Abercrombie, they might be thinking sometimes your PR department or some person's just trying to follow policy. And they might do it in a more zealous way than you may have ever wanted them to that way, because I'm sure they don't want to be in the news with the Supreme Court right now. No, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Not for this. uh, They want
2: to be in it for their uh, catalogs because that's kind of edgy. Yeah. this is Everyone's going to go look at it. Yeah.
0: But maybe this is part of the deal, too. When you think about, like we were talking about earlier, this is maybe where we need to start thinking. And notice that there's going to be differences – we, we always draw these black and whites, these strong lines, and sometimes maybe the lines that are the policies keep us from thinking, keeping, keep people from thinking.
2: What's the right uh, thing to do versus what do I do to follow the rules? And then right? we go
0: full circle now where, though, remember, President Obama is really being careful not to peg this as a war against Islam. So he doesn't want to use the word Islam, doesn't want to use it with extremists.
2: And he's saying that because that's what they want to hear to be uh-huh. to legitimize their movement. Well, yeah. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to be the spokesperson for He wants for them ISIS. to be terrorists. He wants them to be radicals in that way. But he doesn't want to associate yeah. them with a religion because that's what they want.
0: Isn't this weird? But then there's a ton of backlash on Obama for that. It's complicated. And so think about it, just you as the average Joe... If you walked into an Abercrombie, would you sit there and think, oh, why is she wearing that headdress, that hajib? Why would, is she
2: wearing I that? I would think, whoa, those jeans are expensive. What am I doing in this? store? I'd like,
0: what the? <laughs> <laughs> Going to the Gap. That's mine. That's interesting. But, I mean, but think about it. I guess in our lives, would we discriminate against that? When you see somebody wearing something like that, do you immediately discriminate? Do you think, uh, there's a terrorist? Because if that's where your head goes— you got to work there this isn't about working on Aber- abercrombie you got to work on your own head when you see somebody walking across the street covered like that do you have an do you have a reaction an emotion a thought i wouldn't immediately think weird or terrorist and it's weird. it doesn't matter it could be the same thing it could just be a guy low riding pants like james when he walks in you're like james pull your pants up it could be um it could be mormon missionaries riding their bikes down the street it could be um just people that it could be amish it could be there's think of this country it's everywhere yeah i wonder if the amish could get a job at abercrombie i don't know i know the missionaries could
2: hats and beards i don't know if that's in their dress code you can't work as a missionary
0: um anyway interesting discussion
2: it's cool folks
0: this is life and isn't it interesting how complex it's getting It's much more complicated now. You open up the internet, for heaven's sakes, things get crazy. We're going to take a break. Hour number one, done. Wrapped up with a nice little bow. When we come back, hour number two, have we got a a cool topic for you? We're going to be talking about a worm robot. What if we took a worm's brain and put it in a robot? What would happen then? We'll talk about it up next hour, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's six past the hour, hour number two of the show. And uh, man, have we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about today. We'll do some headlines in a minute. And then we're going to be talking with a researcher, a scientist, that has basically uploaded a worm's mind. So the mind, the way of processing that a worm uses to process and kind of experience the world, they've basically modeled it, put it into a computer, and uploaded it into a Lego robot. And now they can see basically how something as... You know, as interesting, maybe even insignificant as a worm, goes about living. Now, what's powerful is maybe you could then, once we can understand the mind at that level, maybe we could actually then change it. Change the mind of the worm.
2: What's interesting is they they used a worm— what you think is a, a simple organism-type life form, and then you read about how complex oh. it is to mimic this oh. simple life form's movements. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, a worm
0: is so interesting because it only has like 300 neurons or something, 302 neurons that it was tracking, but a human off the chart. So right. humans, yeah. You know, so we got a long road. So you start small, but
2: it's still yeah. so complex.
0: Anyway, fascinating. So we'll be talking to him, Timothy Buspis. Busbis is his name? And uh, we'll be getting to that a little bit later. But first, let's get into some more headlines. What you got for us, Terry?
2: The Clinton Foundation received millions in donations from foreign governments, including Kuwait, Qatar and presidential uh, while presidential contender Hillary Clinton was secretary of state uh, foundation officials receive or uh, revealed it to the uh, Washington Post on Wednesday. The contributions include a five hundred thousand dollar donation from the Algerian government that violated an ethics agreement with the Obama administration. But the foundation contends it arrived with without notice for the relief efforts for Haiti's 2010 earthquake. Oh, see, so they received is, the donation. Yeah, she was Secretary of State, but she says they didn't tell us. They just sent the money, so right. we passed it on to the relief effort for Haiti. I, I um, have a I have
0: a feeling this is this is a big this is a bigger deal. Do- not not that anything, not that they were doing stuff, but I think they've received like two billion dollars yes. in donations to the Clinton Foundation. They changed
2: their policy and started accepting from all over, all over the world, the world. So, so but when you have up, like the Saudis. Donating millions to the Clinton
0: Foundation, and I guess in the last five years donations have like gone off the chart, which is weird, right? Because yes. we had a Secretary of State Clinton, and we have a now potential candidate Clinton. Yeah, that has re- that whose whose uh, institution. What what do they call it? The Clinton the Clinton foundation, foundation. Whose foundation has received billions of dollars of foreign investment? I mean, it's weird. It's something we haven't experienced.
2: If you try to go sort of a a negative spin on that, you'd say she's a possible candidate. People are trying to curry favor. Right. The positive spin,
0: according to our last guest in the last hour, is Hillary Clinton is also very pro-creating equal rights for women across the world. So this is the foundation is one way to get that message out.
2: And she's involved in the foundation, but it's also her husband's foundation and what he's doing- with his uh, his effort and his uh influence as a former yeah. US president they do say that uh, her role with it with the the foundation will change if she does declare for president well sure <laughs> because it's law but they they're, they're yeah. saying that right now she's just a private citizen Sure. Right? Who has a foundation, and so she, and she's, she, well, she's representing the foundation. Now, hold on.
0: Now, there's private citizens like-
2: uh, But technically, she's not running for anything. Well,
0: there's Jimmy Booth, who right. has a foundation for ingrown toenails. I
2: have my own foundation. Yeah. She's a Clinton.
0: Wife of a past president, first lady, past senator, past secretary of state, potential presidential candidate, right. raised $2 billion in her foundation. So does
2: she need to live by a different set of rules- Yeah. when she's still a private citizen? Yeah. She does?
0: If she's going to run for president.
2: But she hasn't declared. Well. And when when she does declare, she will have nothing to do with the Clinton Foundation. Right. When did she know she was going to run? Really? She hasn't declared yet. When do you think
0: she knew? She knows. So, okay. So what I'm saying is Romney got reamed for everything he did for the 30 years before he ran.
2: This will be an issue, obviously. So, that's the point. So she, she can, at, we can change yeah. the
0: policies right when we're going to run. Now we'll change them, sure. Yet you're still going to pay for how you've lived. By the way, this is Integrity 101. Absolutely. We owe And not that she's broken integrity, but no. you have to pay for everything you've done, just like Romney had to pay for having a car elevator.
2: Did he forget that? Did they build that I th- house? I think he sold the house, didn't he? Yeah. I think, what the- a
0: bummer. You've been building your car, car elevator and you right. were lambasted you for it. You get outed. And you never even got to take your car on the
2: elevator. And relatively speaking, it was a bargain probably for him to get a car elevator. Totally. <laughs> just compared to probably buying more when property When that came out and people were just outraged, I was asking, if you had the opportunity, would you not get a car elevator? I would. I would. I would get an elevator for my car, even if I didn't have a car. There you go. Or a need to lift a car. I think it's a cool way to park, myself. I do, too. Oh, well. Any other news? Uh, Wisconsin lawmakers, mm-hmm. thousands of union supporters protested as Wisconsin State Senate passed a right-to-work bill on Wednesday, mm. barring labor contracts that require workers to pay fees in the private sector. Hmm. Union dues, those types of fees. Yes. Republican Governor Scott Walker... Who's out there. He's a potential candidate. Testing the waters. Is set to sign the measure if the state's assembly approves it next week. Republican lawmakers fast track the bill uh, through the processes. If the bill passes, it is expected, as it's expected to do, uh, Wisconsin will become the 25th right-to-work state. Wow, that's a big deal. I mean. He's the one that was fighting the teacher unions yeah. a few years back. That's a union state. Really? Wow. Blue color. Not anymore. Not anymore.
0: That's cool. Yeah. So there's some changes there. Cool news. Isn't it weird? Life is changing everywhere.
2: Yeah. Mm. Things are adjusting. Southwest Airlines notified the FAA yesterday of a serious oversight. It failed to conduct a mandatory inspection of some of its plane's rudder systems. Yes. The weird part: the inspections still aren't done, but the planes are still flying. I know. Don't you find that weird? Okay, so this
0: is a problem, but you got five days to fix it. But if you're if you're one of the passengers in those five days, are you
2: not thinking, huh? Did the, you say rudder problem? No. The article in capital letters puts the FAA is okay with it because the inspections were for a backup system. Okay. So if the primary system's fine, great. If it fails, well, you know. Yeah, you Sorry. got five days. <laughs> can you like see all the people googling rudder system? What is this important? Should I worry Secondary. about this? What do I need to do there? Also, uh, where did that go? Oh, KFC. Ah, our friends at Kentucky. Heaven chicken. on Earth in the United Kingdom because nothing cool is ever unveiled in the states. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're gonna bring up uh, coffee and beverage cups that are edible. What? You don't have to throw the cup away anymore. You can just eat it. That's Ooh. not a bad what? idea. It says uh, USA Today explains like a wafer. The soft E cup, the scoff e cup, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Scoff E cup will be made from a special wafer like biscuit then wrapped in sugar paper and lined with a layer of heat resistant white chocolate. The <laughs> cups will also infuse with different scents. So you have
0: Jimmy flavors. Did you eat your cup before you drank your hot cocoa? Yeah, so yeah I'm,
2: mom. I'm reading that and I'm like, I think the cup will have more calories than the beverage.
0: You know, I guess that's, there's your environmentally sound. Yeah, we'll just consume it all. Sure, it'll gain, you know, it's another 500 calories. I mean, it's
2: infused <laughs> with white chocolate. It's a wafer-like biscuit it's so wrapped in sugar paper.
0: What happens when we have to start eating our trash? That just looks like that would
1: be a bizarre sight. Yeah. Looking over across the street and somebody's just going to town on their, gla- on their
0: cup. Well, but haven't you ever had a pizza that tasted like a pizza box? Oh, yeah. It's already been
2: done. <laughs> Already so, been done. When usually made, the frozen variety. Yeah, yeah. Pizza boxes made out here. of pizza.
0: That's an interesting little idea.
2: Yeah, but In, of course, until
0: my kid, my kid eats the cone before he's had the ice cream. Yes. So when your kid's eating the cup, the ice cream's everywhere. Yeah. Mine would always start at the bottom too, and all the drinks. The would. problem here is when people
1: get accustomed to doing that, and they start eating things that aren't edible.
0: Uh, Larry, that's just regular. Pizza that's cup. a regular <laughs> cup. Oh. Oh. It tasted yeah. kind of bland. <laughs> Interesting stuff. We might have to bring that up with the sports guys because
2: I have a feeling they'd eat anything. Edible coffee clubs? Yeah, BYU Sports Nation. Hmm. The next news? Yeah. Head transplants. Human head transplants. What? Yeah. Wow. Why? <laughs> An Italian doctor thinks it's possible.
0: Well, let's back it up. Does he really?
2: Yeah. He's going to present it. So hold I, on. I have the organization that will hear this presentation. Also, but but how would you do that? Like, I want that head. I would like that head on my what body. kind? Of,
0: what kind of head would you like, Mrs. Jones? Yeah, I'd like a. I'd like a little bigger head. <laughs> my, kinda... Some kids would rather have smaller heads. But then you're transplanting a brain, right? It's, oh yeah. That's so, crazy. Well, it's it's a, actually the perfect segue to our next guest. Uh, What if I told you we we could actually model the the brain of a worm, for example, and then tie it into that approach to, uh, you know, accessing the world and and dealing with the world? What if we could then have a robot mimic that brain patterning? Huh? Well, up next, we have a guest. Timothy, uh, I believe his name is Busbus. We'll ask him um, to make sure that's correct. We're going to ask him if this is the real deal. He has been researching uploading a worm's mind into robots so that we can start to understand how people behave and how we can create and change in behavior. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on the show, uh, we always like to, to give you some of the latest and, and greatest science breakthroughs and research that, that are going on. We found an article about uh, Worm Brain being uploaded into a Lego robot. And, you know, with all of our talk on the show of artificial intelligence and the fears of certain people like Bill Gates um, being uh, and Elon Musk being so afraid of what could happen with artificial intelligence... What, what, you know, what we thought is, let's go talk to the pros that are actually trying to work on it, on the front line of it anyway. And we found a wonderful guest um, that we just wanted to pick his brain. His name is uh, Dr. Timothy Bruspis, and he's, um, he has been part of this, I guess we're calling it the Open Worm Project, which is making headway in robotics. He joins us now live on the phone. Uh, Mr. Bruspis, welcome to the show.
6: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: You bet. So good to have you. Um, Talk about this. Talk about your study. Uh, I mean, it's so complicated. And as I read it, you know, I have a Ph.D., but uh, not in robotics or worm neurology. So walk us through it. What is going on in your project?
6: Okay. So what what I did was we this little worm called C. elegans has only a thousand cells within the entire worm. And 302 of those are individual neurons. Hmm. It's the most studied animal on the face of the earth. Uh, there are several uh, Nobel prizes have been awarded for studies based upon this worm, and it's the connectome—what we, how the how the neurons are wired together—is well mapped in this worm. So we know every every neuron and and what that neuron connects to, as far as other neurons or muscles. Yeah. So what I did was I took I took a, and created a program, a single program, that would assume the identity of each one of those neurons. So out of the 302 neurons, we started 302 programs, each one of those programs representing each one of those neurons. Hmm. And we connect those together using what we call UDP, which is like TCP on the Internet. It's user datagram. Okay. So so it's it's a way to message between the programs
0: so so you've now got so you you took the worm uh, C. elegans which is the most studied worm which is pretty simple in i guess in the in its complexity so it was easy. it's easier to do than probably higher more complex worms i guess or other entities um, uh-huh. and then you you figured out the 302 neurons and created programs for each of those, and then tied them all together. Correct. Wow. What's what's then we yeah keep going. Go
6: okay, so then what I did was I created a program that uh, would read the sensors from the robot, and based upon we, we know what neurons are sensory neurons and and what what they what they represent. For instance, odor um, uh, they're activated because of odor because of food you know. Uh, like, sensing food,
0: like visual person, or yeah,
6: yeah, touch things like that. So, so we use certain certain. We we, we took these, the the uh, sensors on the robot, like the sonar, and we and when it reaches within twenty centimeters of an object, it starts firing. Just just starts firing to those sensory neurons that represent those touch. Huh. Then on the other side, we we capture the motor neurons. <clears throat> so so. We, we take the motor neurons and we, we connect it to sort of like virtual muscles. So there's 95 muscles. And, and the nice thing about the worm, the body muscles are very, very... Um, they, they go down the body of the worm on the left and the right. Mm-hmm. So we capture, we capture the left and the right, and we, we take the, the values, the weighted values of what the connections from those neurons to those muscles are. So so if that... That neuron connects to that muscle, say, with four connections. Mm-hmm. We use a we use a weight of four. Okay. And what we do is we add those up on the left and right to drive the wheels of the robot on the left and right wheels of the robot. Yeah. So when we activated the 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 simulated brain, what we saw was that uh, that the the brain would start up and then it would eventually get to, to the motors, and then the, the robot would just start you know, wandering around.
0: And experiencing the room, much like uh, the worm would.
6: Right. And to our great surprise, what we saw is like when we started uh, simu- stimulating the nose-touch neurons, sensory neurons, the robot actually stops, backs up, <laughs> and moves a different direction. Interesting. Now, now, the unique thing here, though, is that just like if you had a chair in your room and you walk you have to walk around that chair every day yeah. you don't walk around that chair exactly the same every day that's true you know you know you go a little bit different yeah. know, each time and that's what we observe in the robot too it doesn't go up to, it's not like you program the robot to stop back up and, and you know right. turn 45 degrees and go a different angle the robot does its own thing i mean it figures out okay well there's something here so i'm going to go around it and it just you know it, it each and every time, so just a little bit different, just like just like an animal.
0: When you turned it on, and you so you had everything connected, and you turn it on, did it did it just perform the first time you did it? Yeah, yes. what, Was that what was that what is what was that like for you? Oh, it was mind blowing. Because that had because... to be the culmination right there. Like, how cool is that? That's yeah, great. Exactly. Yeah,
6: we, you know, we thought, uh, you know, I thought maybe just like wander around, yeah. and do, you know, aimless stuff. You know? <laughs> right. Didn't really expect much out of it. But when it actually, I saw it actually behaving like, like, like an animal, I thought, wow, this is, this, this, so so what that proves is that the connectome, how, how our brains are wired, or at least at the worm level, really dictates your, how we behave.
0: Huh. Yeah, Our activity. Yeah, how, how we
6: how we perceive the world and how we react to the world.
0: Hmm. How you because you because it did it just took off and if it ran into a wall it would start learn it does it doesn't learn though does it it just goes by well,
6: it, that's what I'm saying it's pre-programmed yeah. into how the brain is wired
0: mm-hmm.
6: and that's so, kind of disturbing to a few people.
0: Well, yeah, because then we are pretty much set to be a certain way. Do you see? So I guess I'm assuming your future research would would try to take this to Higher level organisms, I guess, more complicated organisms.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're studying what we call I call cortical programming,
0: mm-hmm.
6: and what we're trying to do is we're trying to take what we learned from studying this this connectome and the, and the way it works. Uh, we're trying to expand that and create you know a higher level artificial brain.
0: But now you you say yeah an artificial brain. You say you're only twenty to thirty percent of the way towards where you need to get. Where are you trying to get to? Where, where? What's your goal?
6: Oh, you're talking about the open worm
0: here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that not you? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's
6: actually a slightly different project. Okay. Uh, great group of guys, but uh, it's a little bit different than what I'm doing.
0: Oh, okay. Do, do you feel like – I mean, so what is your – I mean, that, that is pretty scary to think that we are basically wired to behave. What happens, do you suggest, or sense – if we have a learning kind of process involved, would yeah, we, so would it, I mean, that seems fascinating, and I don't know how you'd ever incorporate that.
6: Yeah, so that's what we're working on now with um, to, to for this. So the worm, the connections of the worm are static. We know this uh, from worm to worm and throughout its life. In other words, it doesn't grow any new synaptic connections.
0: Okay. It is what uh, it is.
6: Uh, it is what it is, exactly. And what we think, it does learn, though. So we think there's a, there's a protein in the in neuron called, uh, we call it neuropeptides. And we believe that the neuropeptides are what really uh, give it the ability to learn. And what that does is a little protein travels down the length of the neuron, and it attaches itself to the cell uh, wall of the neuron, and it opens up an ion channel. So keep in mind the neurons are always regulated, or they activate through through ion channels.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: So that gives them that electrical property, and allows it to signal the next neuron, et cetera, et cetera. So we believe that that's how that's how this worm learn, learns is through that intracellular activity that goes on, which is an intense amount of study. And that and that our brains, human brains, have neuropeptides as well. So there's a there's a lot of intricate. Uh, Uh, things that happen within a neuron that we still have a long ways to go to figure out. You bet. And it's fascinating work. I mean, it's just not how our brains are wired as humans. Yeah. Uh, But apparently that does play a big part. Uh, Obviously, a baby is born. It knows how to feed. Sure, right. So so my assumption would be that the connectome is what? what, uh, you know, creates that ability that our brains are already pre-wired for some of these things.
0: Mm. I, You know, it's I, to me, it's it's so fascinating, especially when we kind of scope this out and see where we can take it. Let's take a break. We're talking with Timothy Busbus. Uh, again, he basically uploaded a worm brain and, and modeled it into a Lego robot and, and realized, you know, wow, we're wired. We tend to behave the way we are wired. Um, as he saw with that worm. We're going to take a break, come back. want to talk more about the implications of this long-term and artificial intelligence, what we're learning uh, on the road to, I guess, creating brain, basically. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More after the break right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Across the country, you are worming your way to work, you know, running into walls, make a left, run into another wall, make a left. Well, that's how the worm brain does it, and our guest, Timothy Busbus, is joining us. He is a researcher that has basically uh, mapped the brain of a worm, and then played that model into uh, through a Lego robot. And it w- with the modeling of the brain, this Lego robot can now go start experiencing the room just like the worm would experience the room. It's becoming it's the beginning of artificial intelligence, and uh, we wanted to talk to Timothy about it. Timothy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I think it's so fascinating, A, that anyone would study a worm brain. And um, but I I so I'm, I, I don't know why, but when you talked about how you turned that thing on and it started to work, I think that is a super powerful moment because you've you've thought about this for how long, Timothy? About thirty five years. Holy cow! Could we have done this ten years ago, fifteen years ago, or are there new advancements that make it so this is now possible?
6: Yeah, actually, what happened was um, I I tried to do do. Not this specific, um, because I was a co-founder of Open Worm, although I'm not associated with the project anymore. Uh, from a core member point of view, um, I, I never had a real brain to to study or to look at. You mean a worm so, brain? A worm or anything?
0: You had a really. brain, Timothy. You wouldn't be studying <laughs> oh, <that's> worms <laughs> without a brain. Let's I would have mapped
6: that. out well. Let's oh, okay, that okay, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, and then we. Uh, so when I joined that team. Uh, four years ago or we started it, um, it gave me the ability to find this uh, actual mapping of a real brain Hmm. that I could actually use in my experiment. But even before that, I tried many times and there's many limitations on computers. And one of the things on the 32-bit or or 16-bit computers was you couldn't actually run any more than a couple hundred programs at a time. Yeah. So I was having uh, lunch with a friend and he goes, well, Tim, have you thought about the fact that you know, you have a sixty-four bit machine now, so maybe its <laughs> ability is there to run more.
0: That's amazing. So
6: yeah. I ran back and started three hundred programs. Just started three hundred like notepads or whatever, and wow, I thought, okay, it works. It's I can processing. actually do build more than than uh, two hundred programs on a computer. So that's where I, I I said, okay, now we can do this.
0: That's cool. What's the future of this? I mean. It, Again, we always have. Bill Gates is worried about a little bit. He talks a little bit about his worries about artificial intelligence maybe getting away from us. Um, do you? What What are your thoughts on that? And where do we go from here? And how is this going to? You know, how is this going to help us learn?
6: Well, the, the thing is, we there's so much to explore,
0: right? I mean, there's
6: there's so many things about um, about uh, simulating brains that makes it very valuable to us. One of the other major discoveries I made was that it's we found out that the brain is extremely recurrent; it has a very recursiveness to it. In fact, uh, and what I mean by that is, neuron A will talk to neuron B, and often neuron B actually will talk back to neuron A. Hmm. So, and and what we found that was really um, a surprise was that that grows exponentially the deeper you go. So by the time you get to the fifth, so if neuron A has, uh, has maybe next to, say, 19 neurons, and and maybe out of that, maybe seven of them go back to neuron A. Well, you go down the next layer, and those 19 neurons will connect to so a certain number of more neurons. Hmm. And and out of that, maybe 15 or 20 or 30 of those go back to neuron A. And you, by the time you get to the, the fifth, you go down five layers deep, you've got 50,000 connections going back to neuron. Ed. Wow. And when you think about it, your brain's always on. Yeah. Even when you sleep, your brain's very active. That's right. So this, what we're discovering is this recurrent network, we believe, has a tremendous amount of... Uh, it gives us the ability to, to continually to think and to, to do things that we don't realize uh, the all the activity that's going on in our brain at, all, at any given time. <clears throat> So, you know, the, the, these these are some of the things we're discovering. And, and, of course, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the big fear right now is Alzheimer's. Right. Because we have an aging population. We know we're going to extend our lives considerably in, in the near future. And, you know, the thing we can't recover from is an aging brain.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so that's interesting. You, know, you Here you are working on a worm brain. And yet you're really just understanding kind of uh, maybe the recursive, I mean, even if you just have a breakthrough of the recursiveness of the brain, that could lead to better Alzheimer's research or better understanding of what's going on with a disease like Alzheimer's.
6: Correct. And, and other things, like you had a great guest yesterday, uh, uh, Gregory Clark. Um, oh, yeah. He, you know, his work is, uh, you know, is, is is fantastic and and. But right now, when they put the probes in the brain to to uh, manipulate prosthetics, they 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 kind of know where they want to put the electrodes, but I wonder if you knew exactly where to put that electrode.
0: Yeah. So so you you almost have to map it on a different level. I mean, you have to kind of do it tangibly. Yeah. In your work. Definitely.
6: Yeah. So That's cool. so I mean, there's so many so many aspects to this that when we we can map out the human brain when when we get there um you know we we can really use that information to to propel our abilities and our uh, our understanding of some of the diseases and things that we suffer from it's
0: so it's it, it's funny to me timothy because i guess and it's just the pop culture world the rest of us are trying to think about iRobots robots and all of <laughs> r2d2 and you're sitting here thinking okay i just want my robot to move and and yet, and if that all works, then we can start to maybe understand something for Alzheimer's. But the rest of us are way down the road, um, worrying maybe about things we probably don't need to worry about right now.
6: Well, the the, the concept of AI destroying humans—I um, mean, that that that's always a possibility, right? Sure. I mean, it's. It, um, but yeah, actually, I started a book which I only got the first chapter. But the first chapter was pretty chilling. <laughs> I, I called the book uh, "Ants in the Garden." Ooh. And and I and I think a super intelligent being would treat us like we're ants in the garden. Yeah. So when you when you go out to your garden and you see a bunch of ants running around, you don't give it a second thought. Yeah. Not but, a threat. But you know, you get your sandwich and your lemonade and you sit down and start eating. All of a sudden, you see an ant on the table. What do you do?
0: Get it. Got to yeah. get it.
6: So, Got to <laughs> get it. Yeah. Got to smash them. Right. That's right. And then, and then all of a sudden you move your chair back and you realize you're in a whole line of ants going back and forth. And all of a sudden they start climbing all over your chair and all over you. Then you start getting the chemicals out and decide, you know, I'm going to destroy these guys. They're in my way and I, I don't like it. And uh, I'm going to wipe these guys off the face of the earth. Uh-huh. So I think when we think about superintelligence, I think that's kind of more of the the role we, we would probably play.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, kind of. Uh, we yeah, uh, not interested. Then annoyed, then we hunt them <laughs> and we get them. Or <laughs> well, at least that, yeah.
6: Yeah, that that line of humans are going back and forth, bugging me. I'm going to get rid of them. Yeah, right?
0: take <laughs> them out. Do you? Um, is is do you get funding for this? Is this well funded? I mean, I know when we talked to Gregory yesterday about the prosthetics. I mean, he had just received a one and a half million dollar grant. Is it hard to get a grant for something like this, or yeah, funding investment? Much. Is it
6: no? This is all. This is all done out of pocket. It's, really? None, none of this. Has been, yeah. None of this has been done based upon any funding whatsoever.
0: Hey, why? And have you just? Is that just easier for you?
6: Yeah, yeah, just you know, just, just that's the way it works. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a huge passion for this. so yeah. I, I don't care, you know, if I have to spend. Ten thousand dollars to do it, I'll I'll do it.
0: Now, are are you a are you a, on faculty, or are you just somewhere? Or no, w- I'm just an independent researcher. How cool is that? You're doing this. Your is your family involved? Do you let your son take the robot out for a walk?
6: <laughs> well, it's really funny because we we're trying to figure out how could we sense food, right?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. So, how could you?
6: So what we did is we decided we'd use the sound sensor. Oh. And and so what we do is we, I, I did is I created a certain threshold decibel threshold, and so once once the robot heard a sound above that threshold, I would start activating the sensory neurons for food presence. Hmm. So so it's fun because I'll, I'll have the robot like running around the house, for instance, and and um, and it's like a cat. I mean, it's just like having a cat at the house. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, you can't tell a cat what to do. No. And and but you can change the environment to make a cat do certain things like food and things like that. So so what's really funny is my wife will start. Yeah, I whistle at it, okay, so the, <laughs> and it hears you. The, does sound, it sound? Okay. So so my wife starts calling it, and it starts coming towards her. Of course, <laughs> what's happening really is that the the sound threshold goes above, you know, the, the the decibel threshold, and starts activating the food neuron. So it starts coming towards her because it thinks there's food in front of it. Yeah. So,
0: that, that is, is so crazy, funny. I mean so you know so if,
6: to,
0: yeah. if she was if that was a real worm, you know that would be a really good horror movie <laughs> you know you got a you got a worm about i don 't know the size of an average dog, and uh, it starts to just one whistle and it starts to consume people. <laughs> I mean that's that, that's you've got to be kind of a fun guy to live with too, um, because you'll just you'll go tweak it and could you is it is it Pavlovian in a way meaning if it if it actually got fed would it then oh you know, yours doesn't have a learning component yet because it doesn't lay down the sugar or whatever what was it called uh, yours doesn't necessarily learn no so no. Uh, it's, how, already, you,
6: it's already built in yeah
0: yeah you need to you need to just I don't know throw in a little advancement. So that you know, it, your your little, you could just sell that little robot.
6: Yeah, that's what we're doing. Actually, we're, we're, I'm working with uh, some college students uh, in uh, Long Island, and uh, that we've actually, and actually, even a gentleman in Argentina has taken uh, some of my work and and created a robot that uh, works off of a, what's called a Raspberry Pi computer, a little tiny computer. Uh huh. And run and runs um, a Python program, and this computer is like thirty five or forty dollars. So it's very very affordable. affordable. and and uh, we use a what's called a GoPiGo Go robot, um, and it we've actually got it to work very well. So we're trying to get it out there so that anybody and everybody can actually play with it and do things with it and make it work.
0: That's great. Well, I think I I applaud you. That's uh, I mean to do this all on your own dime, you just on your own research, it, it's powerful. And uh, you know, I can I just imagine you were the young man that used to sit pulling worms out of holes in the middle of the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're making them into robots. That's pretty cool. Well, Timothy, good work, my friend. Keep up the good work, and uh, we'll keep watching for more of your advancements. Get you back on as soon as you can Have teach that worm how to make dinner.
6: You got it. That's good.
0: Thanks, thanks, thanks Timothy. Cool stuff. Yeah. Folks, this is what's out there. You know, you can be passionate and curious about anything and go – Build a life around it. Uh, You can even torture your wife if that's your passion. Um, Good, good stuff. Tim, what a guy. We'll take a break when we come back. uh, Just more headlines, more information, trying to show you the good in the world. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, a little downer, but then you hear of guys like Tim that are just doing what they love. More up next, right here on the Matt Townsend show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. It's about 50 past the hour. It's the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. And, uh, you know, as we just wrap up this section, science, uh, it's changing. It's changing. Isn't it interesting that on a 32 uh, megabyte computer, is that what it was? 32, what was he talking about? 32 meg? Computer. He couldn't make the robot work. Get to a 64, bada boom, bada bing. Don't you wonder what knowledge, what learning, what what research has been stalled over the years simply because we didn't have the technology to figure stuff out. One company um, is doing something really interesting. According to the AP, um, they're mapping the most stressful places in life to figure out how stress is killing us, you know, which is, I think, important. And I'm telling this to James because... You know, James is stressed. He's got a lot on his plate right now. Yeah, I do. He's got to pay for the knives that he bought his girlfriend a few months ago. Now he's got to pay for a ring.
1: Yeah, those demo knives can be really expensive.
0: What, were the knives more than the ring? Uh, almost. Wow.
1: Yeah. So that's that's the things so that they don't tell you that no. when they give you the knives.
0: Well, it's just it's just all you got to do is twenty easy
1: payments. Yeah, and they say they're so
0: easy. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, that sounds yeah. great. How easy were they? <laughs> They're not so easy anymore. $99 easy. Yeah. That's how easy. Yeah. Um, Life's stressful enough, right? So there's a company uh, called Numitra, a Massachusetts startup, and it makes devices that measure the electrical properties of someone's skin, their galvanic response, as a proxy for brain health at any particular moment. And then what it does is that uh, it'll take a reading, about 50 readings a second, and then combine that with skin temperature and accelerometer and all these different things. But in the end, it can tell when you're feeling stressed and where you're feeling stressed. And then if you wear this device, you can start to see in your life where you're most stressed. Really? Yes. Just from the electric properties of your skin? hmm Wow. Effectively, what we're measuring, uh, the co founder Robert Goldberg said, effectively, what we're measuring is the brain in the skin. What we're sensing is mediated by the adrenal system. We release adrenaline in response to fears, but also throughout the day. So when your body's dropping more adrenaline, you're probably having some stress.
1: And that's why you could probably get burned out with the stress, is that you're like constantly
0: getting juiced up on that adrenaline. And these, uh, this group, Numitra, received funding from the Field Foundation's breakout labs, and it's now uh, um, working on creating like a watch-like device that you can use to, you know, kind of identify and map where you get most stressed in life. You know, sad thing, the watch will be about 1500 bucks. The good news, Apple will probably buy it and put it on their watch. I don't know. I just made that up. And it'll still cost that much. It'll still cost. <laughs> I think the Apple Watch is three, three to 400 bucks, or whatever. Yeah. But, they're. I mean, I, you know, Apple's got billions. They're going to eventually own everything, including that, the worm robot. That's inevitable. <laughs> but, by the way, would you want to know? I, I kind of already know where I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I don't need a watch to tell me. I've got underarms. <laughs> My underarms will tell me when I'm starting to feel stressed. My lip will start to quiver.
1: Well, that's the thing. Be, it would be interesting to see if there were places that you were unaware of that you're rele- releasing that, uh, that adrenaline
0: and yeah. you didn't realize it. <laughs> you're driving to your in-laws. <laughs> toxic. Toxic. <laughs> <sighs> I we I'm better stressed. pull over. My watch is telling me I'm a little stressed right now. But what's cool is what if you actually could notice you were stressed, have a little alarm that sounds – And then you had a protocol, Mm -hmm. and the protocol was a healthy protocol, not an unhealthy protocol. Wouldn't that be fantastic? So instead of, you know, when you're stressed, getting – going and drinking, you know, or going and buying marijuana, what if you could just breathe and catch it before too much adrenaline drops? We need this for other emotions, too, because, I mean,
1: like, how how useful would it be if you could just give you that, that space? A lot of times we, we yeah. talk about it with anger and such. Ooh, yeah. If you could have something that track your anger Or, or what if such? you could have
0: something that tracks your partner's anger? That would be so useful. See, I think a lot of men would pay tens of thousands yes. of dollars to know w- their wives' levels. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So when you walk in the house, you don't have to, like, wonder. Yep. You to. Just- that- no.
1: Manslator. Uh-huh. So you know well, exactly man's what, they're, what they're saying.
0: Yeah. But see, without them even saying it, you just feel, she wants me to vacuum. <clears throat>
2: I will vacuum. Don't I, watch TV. I, I get, and this is okay to say because we, my wife and I have talked about this yeah. at volume, I'm fine. Yes. Which okay. means she's not. Dangerous <laughs> words. <laughs> that
0: means you're dead. Yes.
2: <laughs> you're probably going to be in trouble if it feels like there's eggshells around here it's because there are tread lightly <laughs> i mean the, the advancements that this
0: could ha- have are incredible all of a sudden you have your spouse because on the eye watches i guess are they called the eye watches apple watches. apple watch, apple watch on yeah. the apple watch i could supposedly set it so my wife could see my heartbeat <laughs> and she could set it so i could see her heartbeat so if that can already happen what if, what if my, when my wife... And then somebody hacks your watch, they can see your heartbeat. Yeah, why would they? Yeah, but, you know... Well, no, they couldn't see it because I wouldn't be wearing it. Oh, if they hacked
2: it. Yeah, yeah. if they yeah. somehow gained they access watch, to yeah, the wireless yeah. No. signal,
0: yeah. But eventually it's going to be really interesting because then it's going to be like, oh, wow. Why is your heart beating so fast? Yeah, my wife just got bad news. You You could just watch the watch and know, hey, is now a good time to come home?
2: <laughs> Sounds like a cop out. Well I saw your heartbeat was high, so I stayed home. I stayed away. Yeah, you must have been yelling at the kids. Looked like there was a lot of adrenaline. I just took in a couple skin. more
0: laps around till your oxygenation went up. <laughs> Once they saw you were oxygenating at a healthy level, then I
2: pulled in. <laughs> But honestly, that, that's more a data. whole new level of judgmental comments. There, yeah. you know. Yeah, but see, what's oh, yeah. so
0: cool about it is really that's data that uh, I think a lot of times women are more perceptive, maybe to certain levels of data that men maybe aren't picking up. But that's data, very kind of left brain data that men might pick up and like. Like if you could track oxygenation, heart rate, temper or uh, temperature, dilation of the eyes, I
2: would need an app to take all that analyze it, and then just tell me Translate. she's mad. Yep. She's mad. Do just not... give me like a mad face. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, a happy face, you know? Yeah. So
0: I guess uh, you don't want me to give you a back rub? No, I don't. Okay. I'll just go in my room. Don't want that either. Make dinner. I'm telling you, I am going to be a millionaire, a billionaire, because of this show. I'm figuring it out.
2: It's probably best not to share all your ideas on the air that you want to try to turn into something. That's a good point. Yeah. Other people are listening.
0: Okay. So that idea, not doing. Bad idea. What what idea? Exactly. Do you guys hear what Warren Buffett eats every day? Let's just say Warren Buffett would drive Mrs. Obama crazy. Does he eat muffins? He is not a muffin man. Okay. He eats 2,700 calories a day. Wow. A quarter of that is Coca-Cola. Whoa. I drink at least five 12 ounces, uh servings of Coca-Cola. I do it every leaded. Full-ended. Full-ended. He's 84 years old. He has boundless energy, which you would, too, if you were downing. He's on a sugar rush all day. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, rich man, dude. He owns $16 billion in Coca-Cola stock. No wonder he's drinking it. I wonder if he gets a discount. The dude also, the dude... Mr. That sounds rude. Mr. Buffett also eats um, for breakfast. What does he have? I have, uh, where is it? Potato sticks. He eats potato sticks. Have you ever even heard of those? Like the salty
2: snack? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Shoestring potato snacks. That's breakfast? Papitas fritas. All right.
2: Not for breakfast. He just eats that throughout the day. Just eats it, period. Wakes up, has a couple. If I ate those, my wife would kill me. And they're in the cardboard canister, it looks like. Yeah. Those are good. He's not addicted to potato sticks. He says. He says. Says Allegedly. Says the addict. Yeah, the investors. (laughs) I I can stop whenever I want. (laughs) Right.
0: But he likes them a lot. This morning he said I had a bowl of chocolate chip ice cream. I mean, I guess when you're one of the richest men in the world, you can eat whatever you want to eat.
2: Who's going to tell you not to? And yeah. if
0: they do, you're like, uh, I can just buy your company. It's okay. He, he has a high sugar, high salt diet that has somehow enabled him to remain seemingly healthy.
2: Huh? It's amazing. Where it would probably kill me. You
0: know, it, I, if it's good for Warren, it's good for me. There's, you, by the way, I'm going to save that. That's evidence that you don't die when you eat bad. Warren does it. It's fine. Warren's fine. Doesn't even mess with his brain. Still thinks. Good stuff, folks. That's it. We're done. Hour number two. Next week, we'll be back. Next hour. More here on the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to get into relationships. More tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. everybody welcome to the matt townsend show hour number three at six after the hour just a lot of research a lot of science on today's show and uh today we're going to be talking about expectations have you ever like had an expectation with somebody oh you know like the first kiss that first kiss mm. or like when you're getting engaged let's say you just recently got engaged just, uh, just yeah just a, like a random example throwing yeah. it out there and the expectation of the moment of the engagement didn't quite turn out like the reality. James, do you relate as somebody who was just recently engaged?
1: I do, actually. I, I do. It was Like, for example, yeah. uh, when I proposed to yeah. um it was all supposed to be a surprise, but it but somehow wasn't Somehow she knew the she paparazzi knew, were there. Yeah, she's way too intelligent, yeah. Yeah. Once she saw the whole the group of people with all the cameras and stuff, yeah. she
0: knew she she, tuned, she knew exactly what was going on. <laughs> have, so. you, have you ever seen those brides that like, okay, right? So when we say I do, I want you to open the boxes and the doves will fly. They'll fly <laughs> to heaven.
2: Okay, we got that down. It's two staged, yes. Yeah.
0: And then they open the boxes and four of the doves are dead and two are coughing and one <laughs> flies out and gets caught in the bug zapper.
2: Or if you're the Pope, a <laughs> raven comes down and attacks the come dove. On, on. Yeah, the hawk well, lots of moments ruined by yep. doves.
0: Okay. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about expectations and the impact that your expectation has on your relationships. Doctor Jamie Kurtz will be joining us. Fun uh, topic there, but uh, as always, we like to head uh, head to the headlines before we get going here.
2: A couple days ago, we talked to a gentleman that was working on a uh, an a bionic arm i yes. guess you could say an yeah. arm hooked to the nerve endings yep. in the guy in that your could be arm run by your thoughts and then your thoughts in austria yeah three men became the first to undergo a bionic reconstruction to replace their injured hands voluntarily amputating their hands were um unusable function
0: i mean they, they, weren't they
2: had nerve they exi- they were there but they didn't work like they were crushed or something yeah. like that so they had the hands removed the, 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 the wow. new device was put on, the muscles and nerves from their, their legs were transplanted to their arms in order to control the robotic prosthesis with brain signals. So kind of a similar approach. That's interesting, yeah. What they're doing at the University of Utah, the gentleman we talked to, a little yeah. different yeah. approach to it. But uh, But these but, yeah. people volunteered. They had hands that needed to be amputated... In order
0: to make this work, but they were hands that weren't functioning.
2: Yes. Interesting. So they underwent bionic reconstruction. Can you imagine signing that paper or having you know agreeing to do that? Well, the hand is useless anyways, so go ahead, take it. Oh, I know. That's a big moment. And then though, if it fails, it? you can get a hook. No, you can't. No hook. Not you have anymore. to go bionic. <laughs> now we go
0: bionic. That's what I would do.
2: Along the same line, Italian surgeon Sergio Canavero thinks a human head transplant will be uh, possible by 2017. Honestly. He believes it should be pursued as a means of saving people with, say, multi-organ cancer so
4: okay.
2: that their bodies are going to shut down and it's a problem, so we just transplant the head. Hmm. He says uh, this is so out So really, of,
0: it's, we're saving the head, not the body.
2: Well no, moving. Yeah, but the head, the head is what the head yes. is
0: the head's the main That's the
2: computer we want. This is out of the New Scientist.
0: Uh, I was just thinking, I'd be mad if I had a really hot body in my <laughs> head. I picked up some guy's head that I didn't like.
2: New Scientist is the magazine. This is from Most Surgeons uh, told the magazine that they con- that were contacted, they dismissed the proposal altogether. There's no evidence that the connectivity of cord and brain so spinal cord and brain would lead to useful sentient and or sentience and motor function. Hmm. So could you reestablish consciousness after yeah. you sever and reattach? Well, you know. More, and? More power to him. Good he luck. He will deliver a keynote to the American Academy of Neurology and Orthopedic Surgeons at their annual conference this June.
0: But think about that. if you, so if you want to go. had cancer plan. and right your now. organs were failing and you're, all of a sudden you're like, we could do a head transplant. It's an option. We've
2: got a donor body. Have you heard of Lenovo? Yes. Where? Or excuse me, Lenovo. I always said that I was going to say Lenovo. No, I I have, I've heard yeah. of Lenovo. What I is, always switch out Lenovo. What is Lenovo? They make computers. Yeah. <laughs> One of the biggest computer makers in the world. Okay. They were hacked Wednesday Uh-oh. by a group called Lizard Squad, redirecting all traffic to a slideshow of Lizard Squad members looking bored set to the music from the television show High School Musical. Hold
0: on. Isn't Lizard Squad a TLC show where they impound
2: your cars? No, that's, oh, that's, li- that's like licking lizard. Oh, it's to- lizard lick. Lizard lick towing or so something. So Lizard Squad broke in and did what to Len- Lenovo? They shut down their website uh-huh. and then redirected all traffic to a slideshow of members of this hacking group looking bored, listening to music from High School Musical. Take that. By the way, this goes full circle. You Because these guys, Lenovo,
0: remember we had a story a week ago about how now the hackers can get into the chips. And put inform and start stealing information on cell phones. Yes. On they, cell- they, they were getting in before.
2: Yeah, it was so, a Trojan horse. But what this? They, the reason they did it was it's in response to Lenovo expose uh, being exposed for placing adware software called Superfish on computers that would insert third party ads on Google searches and websites without the user's permission. Interesting, Robin
0: Hood. So now these hackers. Are getting back at
2: Lenovo to stick up for the little people who are right. sick of ads. Lenovo put this the soft the, the program on the computer <laughs> because they're getting paid. Yeah. To have, you know when you get a new computer, well, you don't. You have a you have a MacBook here, but yes, when you buy a new Windows computer, it's full of a lot of extra software, mm-hmm. and it's all like trial basis, thirty days, that kind of thing. And the extra software was part of the Superfish, and it would go into a website and then take all the ads off and put their own ads up. How convenient. And by doing that, they have to compromise the internet security of your computer, which leaves it compromised if you, I don't know, decide to go to your bank and transfer money. So that's the the reason that this is a big issue. So
0: this goes to my point about net neutrality because you can do whatever you want, but there's going to be a room full of hackers that can do whatever they want. Well, and this is becoming more and more common. Uh, Hacktivists. Yeah.
1: Ooh. Hacktivism. Yeah. I mean – that they, they've they been doing a lot of this. I mean, Anonymous is a huge proponent of, of getting back, as it were, at big companies and people that are doing things they view are wrong. Vigilanteism yeah. on the
0: Internet.
2: Now, a few years ago, not the recent one with yeah. Sony, but a few years ago, Sony had some problems. The PlayStation network was, was hacked and it shut down for a while. Uh, credit card information was yeah, taken. Yeah. And that was in response to something Sony did to try to stop people from pirating movies Interesting. and it was cool though because as someone who has a playstation they gave me some free games to say sorry so i was cool with it See so you yeah <laughs> see i don't give them my credit card so that's fine but, but you, they wanted to give me free video games and i was happy Well, so. but maybe you
0: owe a, a bit of gratitude to the hackers that brought sony to it and honestly needs. sony
2: kind of deserved to, to be punished because what they did was kind of a jerk move See, this is
0: an interesting thing where yeah. we you know these companies are big like with net neutrality all these big comcast time warner all these big uh internet providers but it's you know there is a system that's even bigger than the fcc
2: and a side note the recent sony hack they tried to do that again yeah. here's some free video games we're sorry not so good selection on that, so I don't feel yeah. like they've really said sorry to me yet. We need a better so. selection of games.
1: Well, and this is kind of a weird <laughs> dynamic, too, though. Just that like, you feel like it's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. Yes. It's scary yeah. because well, yeah. these people can hack well, what and do anything. Do? That's right. But at the same time, you feel like kind of a Robin Hood situation mm-hmm. where like, they're standing up for the little guy. So it's kind of a weird dynamic between See, the two. Robin Hood probably, you know,
2: he, a lot of people probably thought he was a jerk. Yeah. Well, the people with money, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All the haves. like, you're taking my money.
0: (laughs) Wow. Oh, it's a cool world. It's changing, folks. Hey, uh, here's what we've got coming up. Um, We are going to be talking to Dr. Jamie Kurtz after this break. She uh, wrote a wonderful article about our expectations. And maybe if you want to improve your relationships, your life, you know, I guess you could focus on just having magical moments every day. Or you might want to even start working on how you think about life your expectations. um, Manage that a little bit more. Dr. Jamie Kurtz will join us. She's a professor of psychology at James Madison University. She'll be up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we talk about You know, relationships, it's one of my favorite things to do. I do it, uh, you know, when I'm not on the show, I also coach people. And we saw an article from Jamie Kurtz, uh, Dr. Jamie Kurtz, um, about this idea are we having fun yet? And a lot of times, what happens to us is we have an expectation of what's fun, what's going to be fun, and Sometimes it doesn't live up to that. So we've asked Jamie to join us, um, you know, whether it's a trip, going to the Bahamas, whether it was your first kiss, whether it was getting through airport security, whatever it is, these uh, very magical moments also have a lot of expectations hanging on them as well. We've asked uh, Dr. Jamie Kurtz to join us. She's an associate professor of psychology at James Madison University. Dr. Kurtz, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
7: Hi, pleasure to be here.
0: Good to have you. By the way, when we were coming on the air, we were expecting uh, music to play, and it uh-huh. didn't. But see how we just handled the expectation? Um, so good to have you here. Talk about uh, the expectations in our relationships. It's it's a big deal, mm-hmm. isn't it?
7: Yeah, yeah. We can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have a great time, especially if it's something, you know, we've invested a lot of ourselves in our time, our money, our effort. Um, We can really kind of rain on our own parade by constantly checking in with ourselves. Am I having fun yet? (laughs) Is this as good as it it possibly could be?
3: That's so true.
7: And um, yeah, and there's a lot of really interesting research coming out of, not my research, but um, the lab of Iris Mouse M-A-U-S-S, and June Gruber, and a couple other social psychologists who are raising the question of, you know, can we be too worried about being happy. There's so much pressure in our culture to always be having fun. You know, you ask somebody how they're doing and they say, I'm all right. Like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? Yeah,
0: what's wrong with you?
7: Um, you're supposed to say, oh, I'm awesome. I'm excellent.
0: I have never been better. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even a trip, <laughs> and, like if you have a simple trip, a vacation with your kids and you get to Disneyland and they're all tired because you traveled all week, I mean, all afternoon to get there or whatever, it could be mm-hmm. so depressing for you that you don't even then have fun. While you're at Disneyland or wherever.
7: Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like you're paying for fun.
0: <laughs> what, what? Where does this um, come from?
7: Um, I think part of it is like happiness is just supposed to happen. You know, it's supposed to be a byproduct of being engaged with something, being connected to people, um, feeling a sense of meaning. It's not supposed to be something that we can force on ourselves. Uh-huh. Um so yeah, it's, I guess it's
0: not a goal, is it? It's It's not
7: right. it's a, it's a it, byproduct.
0: And instead we maybe as humans make it the goal and it seems. I guess when you make something the goal you don't ever know if you're there.
7: Right, there's a, a lovely quote I sometimes use in my talks from Nathaniel Hawthorne that um happiness is like a butterfly which when pursued is just is always out of reach but if you sit quietly may alight upon you. Hmm. Like you can't chase it, it has to just kind of happen.
0: That's a, isn't that interesting cuz we you know we yeah. we're supposed to be happy we're here to be happy mm-hmm. and yet forcing it pushing it expecting it looking for it you know maybe you're missing the mark maybe we just mm-hmm. need to sit still and let it find us
7: Right right exactly Well he knows um, what he's talking a, about He does and um one of the little experiments I mentioned in my article that you read was um about New Year's Eve 1999 Mhm which for many people, was a huge event. right? It was like... It was the end of the world. ...money and... Well, (laughs) yeah, the end of the world. You better enjoy your last moment. That's right. Um, And they found that basically the more people... The more money people spent uh, and the more basically pains they went to to have a good time, the less fun they were having because, you know, they were constantly checking in with themselves. Am I having fun yet?
0: (laughs) Isn't that... It's interesting. I guess it, is it, then it takes us – the expectation, I guess, puts us like um, in a different state, so we're not present. Is that what it's doing? Mm-hmm. We're not able to just yeah. enjoy this space. Right. We're instead in our mind conjuring what would make this space even better.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. We take ourselves out of, out of the moments.
0: Do you sense – I mean, I see it a lot just in on television and cable. We have all of these shows about how to decorate, how to be hosts and hostesses, how to have a better yard, a better house, a better – everything's about improvement, 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 mm-hmm. improvement. And yet the rest of us aren't necessarily even improving our stuff. We're just sitting there watching people improve their stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
7: Yeah, right. And assuming that it would make you happy to improve your stuff.
0: Yeah. But- it wouldn't yeah I wonder if psychologically it. that works because maybe I feel more like a loser, because look at me I've got <laughs> cheetos on my shirt i'm not even do, I'm not even painting my walls hm you
7: know, I don't understand the appeal of those kinds of shows yeah um, I'd they rather, might give you some ideas, but it eh, might also just make you feel inferior <laughs> yeah
0: how, how do we know when it, when, we're, when our expectations are askew, when we are out of sync Hmm.
7: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I think it probably requires some introspection, some self-assessment. You know, am I pushing myself too hard? Am I am I spoiling? But sometimes you don't know it until later.
0: Yeah. You, um, you, you look you, back
7: and you're like, you know, I should have just been in the moment. I shouldn't have tried so hard to have fun.
0: Yeah, I, exactly. Do you see that a lot at the university? I mean, I, I assume a lot of your students come in with major expectation issues as well?
7: I think so. Um, the university where I teach is, is really unique in that students, I mean, they love it. They love it there so much. And uh, maybe it's not too unique, but, I mean, it's it's very deep, deeply felt. And for students who I think, um, this is just me um, guessing, but students who don't like it so much, I think, you know, they, they really kind of wonder what's wrong with me. Yeah. Everyone else here is so happy.
0: And it's it's about, it is, our expectations, it's not just like it's our own expectation. As communities, we put expectations on others. Like even we expect our children to go to school. We expect them maybe to get a degree, to get good grades. And and yet, I guess there's a big difference if the expectation didn't come from me, but it came from someone else, that might just inherently have me off, not connected to it.
7: Yeah, I that makes a lot of
0: sense. I mean, I know one of your expertise, areas of expertise is, is, is happiness and also savoring, mm-hmm. you call it. Mm-hmm. Ta- uh, talk to us just a little bit more about savoring.
7: Right. So by savoring, I mean basically being appreciative of the things around you, be it the food you're eating, the view outside your window, the people in your life. And this can be really challenging, Um, especially when it comes to daily life because so much of our daily lives are just sort of routine and they might be great at first when they're novel, but they fade into the background and Mm -hmm. we think about other things. Um, So it can be really hard to notice, you know, the nice, I have this lovely mountain view outside my window I'm looking at right now. (laughs) You know, so much time can go by without me even noticing it. Isn't that
0: true? I mean, we live in Utah. We have the most incredible mm -hmm. views and vistas and yet, you know, we never go out and just breathe. We a lot of us don't yeah. ever even go use the mountains.
7: hmm Yeah. So I was. I, re- I actually just this morning I was writing a blog post about how do we kind of be a traveler in our own hometown? Uh-huh. Can we see our hometown like a visitor would? And I think one of the things that's nice is when people come in from out of town to to visit you, and they say, wow, this place is amazing, mm-hmm. and, you know, they haven't gotten used to it like you have, and you can, at least for a little while, see it through their eyes and appreciate it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because, yeah, you allow somebody else into your world and let them shift mm-hmm. you a little bit, mm-hmm. I mean, and then exactly. to see their excitement about certain things. On the show, we always have guests, and sometimes I'm always wondering how I'm going to really get into that topic. But I mean, even earlier today, we had a, a, a gentleman that um, took a brain of a worm, basically modeling of a brain of a worm, and and made it run a robot, and which is the beginning of artificial intelligence. Yeah. But you know what? Every time I get a guess that's so seemingly out there from my specialty, yeah. I love it because. But I get. Yeah. But part of it is just I guess because I'm present because I have mm-hmm. to be because I'm on the air talking about it. I've studied it a little bit, and so it's almost like natural, isn't it? That If we just focus some energy and be present and, like you say, savor it, Mm -hmm. something will emerge that wasn't anticipated, and that might be happiness, that might just be passion, Mm -hmm. excitement.
7: Mm -hmm. And it just emerges naturally, not because you're forcing yourself. Uh -uh. mm
0: -hmm. That's powerful. Is that true, I guess, in relationships? Mm -hmm. You have all these people that fall out of love.
7: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe we just have too much of an expectation on our partners and on ourselves to feel... Passionately, overwhelmingly in love all the time, and that's just not practical.
0: Not gonna <laughs> happen. Possible. Yeah,
7: um, and I think this is uniquely American. Is it? Um, yeah. So, in um, I, I take students abroad to Scandinavia, uh, which are Denmark, Sweden. They're the happiest countries in the world, and it's really interesting to think about why, because they're cold and dark so much of the time. Right. And, right. Um, but one of the things that is Part of their psychology is just kind of being content, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of this is good enough. And here, that just sounds like such like a like you're giving up, like you don't have standards. Oh, well, it's good enough, but yeah. you know, but maybe that's a better way to to think about things. We
0: we had a, a guest on that was in Finland and talked about how when he when he got to Finland as an American, he had to kind of rewire and change some mm-hmm. habits. And one of the habits was just he had to get used to just sitting in quiet with people,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and and not have the expectation that we're going to have to talk through the whole thing. Like you know, you could sit by each other and have lunch, and care about each other and not talk. Mm-hmm. It's just the the expectation drove him crazy at first, and he had to he had to adapt and change. That expectation. Let's do this. Again, we're talking with Jamie Kurtz, um, and she is from James Madison University. She's an associate professor of psychology there, and her research focuses on strategies for savoring and well-being. She's recently been published in uh, Psychological Science and the Journal of Positive Psychology. We will take a break. Come back, continue this discussion with Jamie Kurtz. We're going to find more out about valuing happiness as as a scale. There's a scale she's going to teach us that uh, might give us some information about where we are as far as happiness goes. This is the Matt Townsend Show back after this break right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Right now we're talking about expectations in life, in your relationships, and, and how they impact your happiness. We have uh, joining us Dr. Jamie Kurtz, and Dr. Kurtz um, has been researching this, as well happiness in general, but also uh, savoring, the concept of just savoring certain moments. And she, she wrote about... Um, expectations in um, an article called are we having fun yet doctor uh, when when we talk about this with dr kurtz just know there, there's some really interesting positive psychology that's that's kind of at the root of some of this as well and that's one of her areas of specialty at james madison university in virginia dr kurtz welcome back to the show thank you talk about the happiness valuing happiness scale what is that
7: this a seven item measure that Iris Mouse and her colleagues have created. And it basically is testing the extent to which you, as a person, put all this excess pressure on yourself to be happy. So it's, it's um, basically an individual difference. Some people do this a lot more than others. So it contains things like, to have a meaningful life, I need to be happy most of the time. Huh. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Um, feeling happy is extremely important to me. Um, oh, my favorite one is if I don't feel happy, maybe there is something wrong with me. Yeah,
0: I'm messed up.
7: <laughs> yeah, so see you how know, that that kind of mindset would just create a lot of pressure. And that skill, does people, it
0: do we, can anyone go take that test?
7: Um, sure. It's it's um on one of her it's in one of her academic papers. Yeah. Um so it's kind of hard to find that way, but it's on my in the the blog uh, post yeah. that you mentioned. Are we having fun yet? So and that Google, that's Google such me a, and find my blog. They yeah. find
0: it. It's such a great, just introspective moment to go start evaluating. Do you put all this pressure on yourself? Do you yeah. think happiness equal? I mean, is something that has to be felt the whole time, or can you just you know be like when I was doing a doctorate, I was stressed out of my head, and yet. It's it created a sense of of health. It was good for me. It's it's that you yeah. stress that healthy stress.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not supposed to be happy all the time. That's just not practical. So people who score highly on this this test tend to be less happy and more prone to depression, ironically, than people who just kind of live in the moment and don't stress themselves out about their happiness.
0: Do, do, are some people just not? Even monitoring themselves at all, and do they tend to be happier? Those that just never kind of introspect or evaluate or self-monitor—is there a difference between those that do and those that don't?
7: Um, Yeah, I wouldn't want to go so far as to say that it's never good to check in with yourself. Yeah, Um, I think there's some value to that, but to do it excessively—that's where that's where the problem lies. To not just be able to be in the moment and let things unfold. Um, so doing it every now and then is probably okay. Um, you know, do I, do, am I enjoying my life right now? Am I enjoying being with my partner? Um, is my job fulfilling? I think those are important questions to ask yourself, but not constantly throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Is this
0: learned behavior? I mean, is it, I I can almost see, you know, a mom that feels really pressured Mm -hmm. to always be, you know, happy doing what's right and supposedly feeling happy, creating, Children that are stressed about being happy, and is it is it handed down generationally?
7: I bet it is. Yeah, I think it's part of our. It's, it's culture bound. It happens more here than in other places. So I think that that suggests something that is taught to us instead of being hardwired into us. And yeah, being told you know you deserve all the best, you're special, um, you should be feeling good all the time is probably part of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess our advertising pushes it as well. I mean, you should be Mm -hmm. everything. Why not?
7: Right. And there's another really interesting and related area of research on choice and how we have so many choices in our culture. I mean, you browse the cereal aisle and you get a sense of it. And if you don't find something that makes you happy, you know, what's wrong with you?
0: Oh, it's so true, isn't it?
7: We have so many options
0: and, and it, sadly the options you know a lot of them are good so you're choosing between goods you're not even choosing good and bad mm-hmm. i mean if everything was just right. good and evil that'd be easy instead it's like right, exactly. good and really good and high fat good and low fat good and
7: it's, and then um, you pick something and you can't help wondering could there be something better out there that mm-hmm. i didn't
0: shoot? that's yeah, it's, it's so, it really is a it's a it's such a kind of a slippery concept because we all know we should be happy and yet uh, the way you probably get there isn't through just you thinking about it or even you right. striving for it. It's probably when you lose yourself and in your passions and in healthy things and in life and in serving and meeting other people, then it probably appears.
7: Right. There's a, a really neat book called Flow. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Where the basic premise is you know, if you want to be happy. Fill your life with activities that are challenging and absorbing, that give your life meaning. And when you're doing those kinds of activities, you're not thinking about, am I having fun? Is this as good as it could be? Because you're just so absorbed by what you're doing. Yeah. And that seems to be a nice, maybe, antidote to... Some of this pressure we put on ourselves.
0: Yeah, and that that book um, by Michai, Chick or however Mihaly you say it. He said it, not me. Yeah, yeah. he. <laughs> uh, the, part of the key to the flow, right, is you have to be stressed. You, I mean, not stressed. You have to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And it, what happens a lot of times is when you stop feeling the challenge, you start the slide. You, yeah. you need to have some sense of challenge, and um, that, that does stretch us and make us even better. We have about a minute left here with you, Dr. Jamie Kurtz. Teach us, what, what's the one thing we probably we need to keep top of mind, the one thing that makes the biggest difference in managing expectations and mm-hmm. you know fulfilling happiness eventually?
7: Mm-hmm. I'm just going to play off of what we were just talking about, like anything that can kind of get you out of your head and into serving others or being connected in your relationships, being absorbed by your hobbies, your work, I think that's really key. Um, and turning that inner voice off a lot of the time, not yeah. completely, but <laughs> as much as you can.
0: Yeah. And, and then, yeah, isn't that interesting? And and maybe looking outward into others mm-hmm. in, instead of always so inwardly. Um, yeah, it's powerful. One of the
7: biggest yeah, one of the biggest predictors of happiness is your relationships and the quality of your relationships. And I think one reason for that is because it does, it just gets you out of your head, you know, thinking about other people and what they need and how you can connect with them.
0: Yeah, it's, we just had a child that was sick, a 10-year-old, and
7: mm-hmm.
0: it's interesting. What matters when you think your boy's really sick, It, you know, everything kind of shrinks. Yeah. And then when mm-hmm. I find out, he, oh, he's healthy. Yeah, he sure, he slept 18 hours, but he's fine. He slept it off. Um, it's really powerful. Hey, where is the blog that they can find you on, Jamie? Where is your blog?
7: Um, it's on PsychologyToday.com. So yep. they have a they have a homepage, and then it's called Happy Trail. <laughs> because a lot of it is about is about travel.
3: There you go. It's my
7: one of my passions. So well, if keep you it up. Google my name, um, it would probably be on the first page of results.
0: That's right, Jamie Kurtz, K-U-R-T-Z, yeah. and Psychology Today. Thank you so much for your work yeah. and uh, sharing it with us
7: you're so welcome this has been really fun
0: appreciate it take care really uh, when you think about it uh, in the end it's it's you it's it's every one of us need to be on the journey here I and to me the journey's growth it's learning it's becoming our best self it's testing us and one of the fruits of that that will appear will be happiness other things that might appear could be joy uh, sometimes stress so, by the way the good and the bad the yin and the yang right they're both going to have to be there. If you want one, you got to take the other. Great stuff. We're going to take a break. When we come back, go visit the guys down in Studio B, BYU Sports Nation, our friends there. Uh, I've got a, I've got a really cool story that reminded me of these two guys, Spencer and Jerem. If he's in town today, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back right after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We call this playtime on the show when we uh, throw it down to BYU Sports Nation. Our friends down there, Spencer Linton and Michael Elisa are there. Uh, Michael's sitting in for Jerem Jordan, who is still uh, on vacation at Sandals.
5: Yes, and uh, to celebrate the occasion, we watched the NSYNC Bye 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 music video because it's playtime after all. Best thing ever. <laughs> Michael's on fire. so funny.
0: That is so sad, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> that is so tragic. You, so you've already seen it? Oh, yeah. Oh my God! Here's, you love here's,
5: it. Here's the thing, Matt. Yeah, I, I did. I did a. Uh, I'm not going to call it a parody because we actually took it seriously were, when, see, yeah. I was, when I was in high school. Yeah, and it has found its way to YouTube, which is super awesome. Are you serious? Yeah. Do yourself a well. I if you're doing yourself a favor, but go look it up anyway. Is it? It's on YouTube because <laughs> you just got to watch it. What's it called? I think. Well, you know what? Uh, our producer, Ben Bagley, I'm sure, is already uh, emailing the link okay. to you right yeah, now. Okay, perfect. So. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll hype that big time. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep in mind, it was 15 years ago, no. okay? Come on. 15, 15 years oh, same ago. Same face. Same you had guy. I have no
0: idea how this would haunt your career.
5: <laughs> it already has haunted it, and it's continued haunting it.
0: Right when you make it big, wait till you're sitting on the late show set. And whoever, Jimmy Fallon or whoever pulls that out. <laughs> when you replace Brian Williams.
5: When I, I heard Spencer watches it every day before he goes to sleep. Wow. I, yeah, I when, hear that. When, when I, we were watching, like under his breath, he was
1: singing along with yeah. the lyrics oh and goodness. also doing the moves like that half is, under the desk.
0: That is, was he tapping his toe? Yeah, <laughs> That is totally. so cool. So hard. Hey, I was thinking of you guys, even you, Michael, I didn't even know you were going to be on today, but this is what I thought of you. Did you know that the world bacon eating record has been broken? What? Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw Time a tweet, out. A tweet uh-huh. about
5: something yesterday. How yeah. many pieces of bacon did he eat?
0: 182 slices.
5: In how many minutes? Five
0: minutes. Oh, my goodness. Best five minutes of
5: anybody's life.
0: Impacted bowel. Can you say that? <laughs> say that with me.
5: How do you, can <laughs> how you, do believe you live that? through that?
0: I don't know, but he did, apparently. He's a, he's a professional eater. By the way, his name, Matt Megatode Stoney. <laughs> Isn't that messed up?
5: Toad he, he also holds,
0: he holds the world records for eating man. the most euros, birthday cakes, froyo, and pumpkin pie.
5: Why Thanksgiving? Why? That's Thanksgiving. Why? Why would you do that?
0: Well, I mean, why would you do a parody of whoever you'd be? Oh, uh, Justin Timberlake? Is that You're right? You, yeah.
5: That's the bigger Touché. question.
0: Too shame at okay <laughs> Instead, you should go eat about fifty pounds of bacon.
5: <laughs> Tell you what, pitiful. though, that'd be the way to go. That's ridiculous. If you're going to die, if you're really, leave this world, do it after. Look, you Look, Michael, Michael's in his post-football career now, so technically, if you want to challenge that bacon-eating record, you could okay. do something. like I, I
1: needed a cool nickname. Mega Toad's taken, so I don't know what else <laughs> I would go try, for. Try, out there.
0: try, Michael Megalode Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mega load! I thought it was mega toad. Yeah, it was mega toad. <laughs> okay, well, but we'll give you mega load. Okay, if you well, eat if you eat two hundred pieces of bacon, it's a mega load on board. <laughs> hey, you guys have got some pretty <laughs> cool news potentially tonight, huh?
5: Absolutely, Tyler Haas chasing down Jim Fredette needs only seven points to become the all time scoring oh. leader in the annals of BYU this basketball. This is huge. Hey, he's gonna do it. Knock on wood. Do you think he'll have? Uh, do you think he'll have any bacon today? I don't think Tyler's going to eat any bacon today, but after he breaks the record, yeah. he might uh, feel like eating some bacon. How cool is this? This is this is big. This is I don't think as pe- big as it gets. Yeah, I don't think people are really giving Tyler the credit that he deserves. And that's what our our topic about today is. Like, you know, every, I think some people are, are kind of ho-humming it, but it's like... Look, he he is going to become not just the all-time leading scorer in BYU basketball history, but he has a chance to become one of the all-time leading scorers in the history of the NCAA. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. He needs a nickname. Yes. And my thoughts, because he's the the quiet scorer, let's call him American Sniper. Oh, nice! A little homage. Nice. Or
0: Gandhi Shooter.
5: There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Gandhi was quiet. Something like that. We're going to talk to uh, a seven-time NBA All-Star today, an NBA champion. His name is Jack Sikma, played in the late 70s. Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's going to call the game between BYU and Portland tonight. Oh, neat. We're going to get his take on how how BYU uh, uh, has what their chances are, for that matter, to make the NCAA tournament and to get his status on how Tyler's game potentially could translate to an NBA scene. Yeah, that's great. Just your gut feeling. Does it transfer? Does it translate? Anybody that can score consistently, I feel like there's a spot in the NBA on some Somewhere. team for them. Yeah. Yeah. He makes he makes a million free throws. He's really smart. He's, he's the silent assassin, he's, you know? There, I mean, see, there's he, the
0: nickname right there.
5: He does it super quietly. He scores 22 points a game, and everyone's like, wait, what? He had 22 points? Mm-hmm. Tyler, the silent assassin, Hawes. See, yes. that sounds
0: better than Gandhi Shooter. Gandhi Shooter. <laughs> see, yeah, that's why you guys I are the sports guys. <laughs> and I'm just the relationship, dude. Whatever.
1: Well, you give good advice about staying away from zombies. I, to- I totally,
0: that. Absolutely. Did it not save you? And now you know how to get 182 pounds of... Protein in your body. <laughs> Guys, best of luck. Have a great show today. Hey, thanks, Thank Matt. Long live Justin Timberlake. <laughs>
5: That's right. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, that is so sad.
0: Justin Timberlake's awesome, though. You know, who, who would have thought he would revive that career like that? What are you talking about? Justin Timberlake. How, is, how has he revived something? He went from the boys to Justin. Okay, that's what that's a change. That was how many of those boys survived it, and made it out alive. Like Justin Timberlake, he's a stud now. He's Jimmy Fallon's friend. He does camp I, skits. I think
2: Jimmy is his friend. I think that's how that works. That's how that works. Yeah, I don't think it's the other <laughs> but way.
0: But that's a cool combination, those two, because very talented. Like, can you imagine having a friend that's that? Two friends that are that talented. That they can put together some great. They just skits. sit down and create. Hilarity! I can't get Spencer out of my head. I got to watch that
2: video. Yeah, we got to find that.
0: I have some news. What? Oh, are you expecting? What? You, anytime somebody says, no. "I have some
2: news," I like that. We That's should do that more often. Yeah. Uh, the FCC is currently meeting right now. Right now, on the net neutrality decision, they first decided to overrule state laws to help cities build out municipal broadband overrule state laws so so, that, so they're basically states were setting up laws to block cities from creating their own kind of city broadband network.
0: Why are they doing that?
2: Why not? Okay. So they're doing that though
0: and they've already kind of passed that rule so states and cities can't
2: ban they can't build their own broadband. But, states cannot stop cities from building yeah, that's like, good i like that like here in this area yeah, google, google fiber has come in yeah and that's really what this has kind of come from is there's some lobbyists mm-hmm. from some groups who don't like what google is doing ah. and they don't want this gigabit speed connectivity and, and homes
0: interesting and
2: they want to be the ones to bring that in and they're the bigger more traditional provider for that and google's the new the new guy on the block with all the money who's coming in and uh giving this out, well, not giving it, but they're they're providing it for a lower rate than what others would want, and so they're forced to have yeah, to adjust prices. Yeah, this is prices. interesting because then you're competing with your government.
0: These companies have to compete with the cities. Yeah. Huh. So it's but, interesting that But way. also that would then provide the bandwidth because then if your competitor is a city that doesn't have to make money per se,
2: mm-hmm.
0: then they can, they can open it wide open and everyone else has to bring it in.
2: And now the meeting has moved on to net neutrality. Oh, so they're talking know. about that right now. Can you imagine just some of the boredom in that room? Yes. The discussions about this that... Do you, th- watch, do you ever watch C-SPAN for any reason? Uh It's no. not there for entertainment purposes. No. It's there They're to no. check and balance your government. Mm-hmm. A lot of it ends up being book reviews for some reason, but... The see,
0: C-SPAN... They're probably eating this up. I think that is one of the keys. In fact, one of the great commentators, Oliver, what's his name? You introduced me to him, Oliver. Or John, John Oliver, yeah. Anyway, he, he's a commentator, and he he said basically— well, he's a comedian that has a, a show. He's a comedian that has a show, but he makes <laughs> He some talks about a lot of news, yes. But what he said that was really fascinating is they've, they've so bored up this topic, it's so boring, that nobody's paying attention to no.
2: it. No, no, because— And they even called it net neutrality— so blue, nobody. Yeah. And then when people start talking about it, there's all this legal yeah. jargon involved, and it's called actually it's called Title Two yeah. of the SFCC F- documentation. And at that point, everyone's like, "What?" And then you read it, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's worded specifically that it's difficult, yeah, because it's a government document.
0: Well, I'm, well,
2: we're going to we will be
0: waiting anxiously to find out what happens in this meeting. Hey, as we like to do to uh, wrap up the show, any uh, any key learnings? I learned a lot today. I We had some great guests, right? So we had Valerie Hudson in the morning who basically taught us that if you want to change the world and change society and change you know, globally the safety and security of people in the world, you can focus on democracy. That's one way to do it. You can focus on market economy. That's another way to do it. You can focus on religion. That's another way to do it. Or she said you might just want to start – with half of the population, women, that might be underserved, under empowered. And if we would just focus on creating equality for women globally,
2: we would lift the entire world. And her research bears that out. That would be treating your own people better. Yeah. And then you would stop worrying about attacking somebody else. That's right. Healthy, strong, happy moms would create, with fathers, healthy,
0: happier families, healthy, happier communities... So if you want to start somewhere, she made an awesome I mean really a powerful argument about that. James. Well, and I, I one thing that
1: I really liked that she talked about about what we can do about that is kind of analyzing our lives. She said like ask yourselves a lot, a lot of questions. Ask yeah. you do you see any subtle discrimination at home? Yep. You know that it all it all starts in that organization per se. And so it's just cool, just yeah. in your own life, analyze, do you see that
0: discrimination happening? and then you can change it. It's so cool. And she even um, they put together a program that you can go to the website women women stats project womenstats.org and you can go to womenstats.org which is where this project is which has been sponsored by a lot of uh, generous sponsors from uh, Texas A&M University but also from Brigham Young University, the Marjorie Pay Hinkley uh, um, grant and and fund has been contributing to that as well as well as a lot of the departments. So it really is powerful. That that was one of the great standouts. Also, our, our other guest that talked about uh, the head, w- the worm head, and the robots. How cool is that? That one man by himself is trying to do all of this research just on his own dime, figuring out um, something so powerful as th- that will eventually potentially help us understand better um, diseases like of the brain, uh, Alzheimer's, things like that. Anyway, folks, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we can't do a show without you. And uh, we've you know, we been at it two or three weeks here. We love uh, helping you see the good in the world and also helping you hopefully find the resources you need, the ideas you need to create a healthier, happier life. Many times it's overwhelming. Everything we need to know to make it through this crazy ball of mud. But uh, we are a source for you right here at BYU Radio. Again, 9 to noon Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. This is the Matt Townsend Show. So good to be with you. Take care, and until tomorrow, we'll talk again.